Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Find us on Facebook as well. Subscribe to our feed. Get those new episodes delivered right to you via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. Go right to nationalreview.com. Click on podcast. There you can listen and leave reviews as well, as well as to all the other fine podcasts offered by National Review. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? I've been up since 4.45 a.m. today. I, I drank a jar full of iced coffee. I, I, then I started sniffing some glue, and then I moved over to the paint thinner. And I got to tell you, man, I, I am ready to rock and roll. So, hey-ho, let's go. I've been doing a lot of wrist exercises to hit, you know, to play that quickly on the guitar. That's, that's what I've been doing mostly. Uh, find Jeff online at EsotericCD. And our guest for this program is a returning guest to the show. He's a reporter for the College Fix, a contributor to The Dispatch, The Bulwark, USA Today, sometimes even National Review. Find his fine book as well, 1916, The Blog. Find him on Twitter at Schneider underscore CM. He is Christian Schneider. Christian, thanks for joining us once again. Hey, thanks for having me. And I think uh, I would be remiss if I didn't begin this podcast by saying, one, two, three, four. <laughs> and, and now we can go. <laughs> we start by offering the floor to Christian. I think we've even had a, a, a job change or at least an addition since the last uh, time you were on to talk about Pixies. Uh, what's your what are you doing now? How'd you get involved in it? Yeah, so now I'm a, I'm a reporter for uh, College Fix, uh, which we cover all manner of uh, things happening on co- college campuses. Um, and yeah, still doing uh, still doing some opinion work, some reporting for other places, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the Bulwark, the Dispatch, USA Today. Uh, just kind of uh, th- throwing my stuff out there, uh, see, seeing where it sticks. So uh, that's that's my gig. <laughs> and we join today to talk about a second band uh, which doesn't have a the in the title, though many people want to throw it in. Right? Pixies is just Pixies. And this band today is just Ramones. I think it's because it's quicker. You know, if you add the the, it's just far too much time to, to mention the band's name. So self-indulgent to throw that, that definite <laughs> article in. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it makes sense with us, you know, doing it for National Review, not not the National Review, of course. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Ramones for National Review. <laughs> yes. Uh, and several members of the band probably liked the National, that's, that's, national that's, Review. That's very true. Yeah. Uh, we do talk Ramones today. What a fun, fun episode this is going to be. Christian, we open the floor back up to you. Tell us why you love Ramones, how you got into them and introduced to them, and why other people should care about this music. So let me take you back to the year uh, 1,985 of, of our Lord. Uh, I was 12 years old. Uh, I was on a uh, uh, cross-country team uh, in my middle school, and we were on a, a road trip uh, in Alabama, and the whole team was there. And it was late at night in our hotel room, and we flicked on the TV, and I was 12 years old, and this movie comes on, and I don't know what to make of this thing. I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? This is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. This is like Citizen Kane to a 12-year-old. And uh, it was the movie Rock and Roll High School, which features uh, exploding mice when they listen to uh, rock and roll too loud. Uh, it uh, it features there's a 40 year old guy who who lives in a uh, who has an office in a 
boy's restroom basement in high, uh, uh, bathroom in high school where he can set you up with girls. Uh, there's, a, there's a concert where there are people dressed like aviators and there are nuns. This is like, like Stefan's deal on uh, Saturday Night Live. I mean, it has, it has something for everything. It has, the ultimate, thought, it has the ultimate wish fulfillment for every disaffected high school teenager where the, <laughs> the kids band together with the Ramones to burn down the school at the end of the film. Right. And so I figured out there's this, this band in this movie that makes this impossibly catchy music. And I'm like, what is this? And so it opened my eyes to, uh, to the Ramones. Rock, 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 rock. Little did I know that nine years earlier, uh, this band, who I was now watching, this silly band running around, uh, was one of the greatest, most influential bands in music history. And let me be clear, uh, to me, this movie is like Martin Scorsese praising one of uh, Fellini's movies, like La Strada or something, right? So it's, uh, it's just that great. But it opened my eyes to the fact that you could actually be an adult and, and taken this seriously. And I didn't realize that uh, I was watching one of the most influential bands of all time. Uh, if you go to the Rolling Stone list of greatest bands of all time, and I'll probably mention Rolling Stone lists a couple of times, and I know they only exist to, to drive me crazy, which they do. But uh, I believe they're listed as the number 26 band of all time. And if you even parse that a little bit further... Uh, they are, in terms of American bands, I believe they're number three, right behind the Beach Boys and Velvet Underground. And then just as a matter of taste, I would, I would put them ahead of uh, Velvet Underground. But, um, you know, they are enjoyable if you're age 12, as I was at, at the time, or age 50, that I almost am now. Uh, they are completely enjoyable. They're they're almost what I would call a cultural cheat code. They're still considered a prestige band, mostly because they didn't actually sell any records, but they are incredibly commercial, as people have figured out uh, in the years since. Um, so, I mean, let's be honest, if you're a fan of a lot of prestige bands, you do have to sacrifice a little bit. Either the lead singer can't sing, or the songs are 20 minutes long, or whatever... You know, these bands are, are prestige because it actually takes some investment. It takes some work to get into them. But for the Ramones, you have to actually do none of this work. They're catchy. They're fun. They're hilarious. They're high energy. They're literally everything that, that you would want in a band. But to this day, if you wear a Ramones T-shirt, you're actually still, uh, you know, kind of signaling that you're part of this exclusive club, even though they're, they're super popular uh, in retrospect. But... You know, it's like if you ask somebody who their favorite band is and they say the Beatles and you just kind of roll your eyes because, you know, everybody loves the Beatles. I mean, the same should be true of the Ramones, but it's not. 
because uh, they, they just didn't have the success, uh, really never sold any records. So uh, they're just great in every way. The thing about the Ramones is that you have to understand them in the cultural context from which they emerged. The thing, of, this is a band that came out, they formed in 1974. They came from the, like, the least cool part of New York City. Maybe Staten Island is less cool <laughs> than Queens, Forest Hills was in like 1970s era New York City. Even then, like the cool hit bands, they were in Manhattan, they were in Brooklyn maybe, uh, you know, maybe the Bronx, but they weren't coming out of Queens, which is just where a bunch of like middle class or lower middle class kids, you know, whose parents held uh, held down like, you know, like working everyday schlubby kind of jobs came from. And um, that's where the room came from you know they are there they were all almost all of them were natives there you know they're born there moved there when they were very young i mean it was Didi actually is the only one that didn't like you know wasn't raised there i think he was like an army brat and then mm -hmm. he, he finally came when his parents like moved there from you know when they were posted in germany they moved to new york finally so these guys all found each other in high school and they, thought, they said to themselves, well, what, you, what were the common trends in, in the early and mid-1970s when you know, disco was big and, you know, you know, smooth sort of, you know, radio-friendly, you know, pop rock, the kind of stuff that, you know, like you, I always think of, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, don't pull your love out on me, baby, <laughs> you know, that kind of easy listening stuff or prog rock or psychedelic or art rock stuff like that and then here are the Ramones who just want to get together and play some fast speedy tunes with simple chords and simple virtues <laughs> too and what made them so bracing it's actually immediately embraced by like hipster music critics is that it was also a deeply art rock kind of a proposition and this is what people fail to understand about them you know earlier in their career my biggest critique of them isn't really a critique it's that i think that that sometimes joey ramone's early singing voice uh is something that you have to get past in order to properly appreciate just how clever a band this was not just musically but lyrically too uh, they, they had this this act that they put on the whole like you know we're idiot teens in the garage sniffing glue thing that that that's a put on uh, this is an art rock group in many ways, and that's fascinating insofar as that these guys were really one of the foundational groups of punk, and then you realize that, that, that what was punk? Punk was really kind of an art rock statement in its own way. You look at the influence that they had, particularly on UK punk, the, the first album, which we'll talk about, you know, was just so incredibly influential in the United Kingdom that 
but the influence flowed in two separate ways. You have two two albums, I think two of the greatest the two greatest United Kingdom punk albums of all time. It, and neither of these is, by the way, never mind the bollocks by the Sex Pistols. Uh, the, <laughs> the two albums I'm thinking of are The Clash, the first debut album by The Clash, which took that in one way, sort of you know added sort of political sincerity and commitment to them. And then the other one is Pink Flag by Wire, which took their art rock and postures and basically compacted it and made it even shorter and more like snappy and sort of insouciant and weird. But that's how big the Ramones influence is because you know, we talk about the influence that bands like The Clash and Wire have had on people well they were influenced by the Ramones and who were the Ramones influenced by and this is the funniest thing of all the biggest influences on the Ramones were like early 60s pop mm -hmm. like Phil Spector and the Shirelles and the Shangri-Las and stuff like that and, and like surf the music. beach yeah. yeah the surf music the Beach Boys you hear so many Beach Boys tributes in the early Ramones canon that it's hilarious that you know people think of them as like punk. By the way, and this is in the era where the Beach Boys were about the least cool thing on the planet. <laughs> Mid seventies, Beach Boys were, couldn't couldn't be less hip. Uh, the Ramones didn't care. They just said we like good music. We like you know immediate music, fast music, and so you have this sort of like veneer of them you know being like intentionally stupid or playing dumb. This is what a, this band was, was, was always kind of really intent on trying to make you underestimate them. But I guess at this point, nobody underestimates them anymore. They are one of the greatest groups of all time. They're one of the most important groups, certainly most influential groups of all time. And I say that even though like, you know, the, the latter half of their career is largely forgettable. It's, it's the first part of their career that is just indelible. And, you know, I mean, we were joking uh, before we started the show in our, sh our pre-show notes that you know, we should try to do every one of these albums in about four minutes as a tribute to the Ramones. You know, <laughs> uh, but I don't know if we're going to be capable of doing that. But I'm really looking forward to, talk, to talking about this. And, you know, Scott, before we just dive right on in with that first album, do you have any thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, ain't nothing wrong with Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds. You know, don't yeah. pull your love. Uh, uh, so the, the Ramones, I believe I was also introduced to them via a film, but not the same one as, as Christian. Uh, mine would be uh, National Lampoon's Vacation when uh, 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 Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo are singing in the car and, and the kids put in the headphones and what pops into the headphones but Blitzkrieg Bop. That, I believe, would have been my first introduction to the music of the Ramones. I'm going to make a baseball analogy here with the Ramones. I know you two can appreciate. <laughs> they say, it's said, uh, if you're a pitcher, the best pitch you can make is a well-located fastball, and the second best is a well-executed changeup. And that's all you need to succeed. You could be successful with a you know well-located fastball, great command, and then, and then an off-speed pitch. That's it. That's Greg Maddox. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the Ramones, right? That well-located fastball for me is that just crunch the downstrokes of Johnny's guitar. And then that well-executed changeup. I, I think Tommy's work early in the band is so well done. It's, it's yes, simple, right? No fills. But you've got to play really precise to keep up with the rest of the band. His cymbal crashes, his kick drum is so integral in those early albums specifically. Beat on the brat, beat on the brat, beat on the brat with the baseball bat. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh ho. Beat on the brat, beat on the brat. Beat on the brat with the baseball bat. Oh yeah, 
Right, I mean, it, it's simple. It's simple, but but they make it into something great. And as Jeff alluded to, there's a lot more than on the surface with a whole lot of these songs, both musically and lyrically. Um, and, and, and you know, the, all, all of them came from very I don't say bad childhoods, but yeah, probably bad childhoods. And so you have that sort of darkness that works its way in through some of the songs, even though others are off the wall, uh, goofy. Uh, so much is is done in so little time. These first albums are 28 minutes long. Uh, it's Alive, I think, packs 29 live songs into 55 minutes. It is a thing <laughs> of beauty. Oh, yeah, it's um, amazing. And, and I'll mention this through the show. I'm sure you guys will, too. But the ability to hear a Ramon song and then know that another band took their sound directly from that one song. There are so many instances where, oh, that's exactly where this band got their sound. This is this is the template. This is the blueprint. And they're all over the catalog of, of the Ramones, especially early in the career. Uh, this is a just a deeply satisfying band on a ton of levels, a bunch of fun. And you're not going to get tired of it because, again, each song is 2 minutes and 12 seconds, if that. Uh, so it's fantastic. And with that, we can begin our journey I mean- into the catalog. Yeah, I mean, and I guess the first thing to just point out is, like, who are the members of this band? It's a four-piece band. It's as simple as it gets. Guitar, bass, drums, vocals. All right, it's actually it's actually a power trio, really, kind of on the, along the lines of The Who, where, like, Joey Ramone, who's the lead singer, he doesn't actually play an instrument. He writes a lot of the lyrics and a lot of the songs, however. But it's it, first of all, there were four brothers. Uh, no, obviously they're not. <laughs> they, they, they were just four guys who knew each other in high school and when they were kids. Uh, there's Joey Ramone. Uh, there's Tommy Ramone, who was their drummer, and then later their producer. And the irony is that he didn't actually want to be the drummer. He wanted to be a guitarist, but he was like forced to be the drummer because uh, Aditi, who had originally been the lead singer, just couldn't play bass and sing at the same time. So he just had to stick with playing bass. Uh, so Joey took over the vocals and... Um, and uh, then he was drafted as the drummer because Joey was the drummer and then became the vocalist. They were switching out the instruments. They weren't like, you know, instrumental virtuosos, but they could all do the job. And they realized that they didn't have to be virtuosos in order to play the kind of music that they wanted to write and sing. So you have Joey, you have Dee Dee, you have Tommy, and then the last one you have is Johnny, Johnny Ramone, who didn't do a lot of songwriting, but I think actually in some ways is one of the most important members of the band because he was their guitarist, their lead guitarist, their rhythm guitarist, and so much of what the Ramones sound is like during their classic era is defined by the guitar work that he brings to this band. Uh, Johnny Ramone is kind of stealthily one of my favorite guitarists of all time, <laughs> even though he has no technique to speak of. He doesn't. He doesn't play. He's, he's not. He's not. He's not Bob Fripp. Okay, 
Bowie's or Jimi Hendrix for that matter. But what he comes up with, the chunky chords that he plays are just so satisfying on a fundamental level. I never find myself thinking that, you know, you know what, this could be improved if there was like a really flash guitar solo on top <laughs> of it. And that was basically the Ramones ethos. And that, of course, brings us to the first album. They'd started in 1974. They'd started playing gigs. They were the formative members of the, 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 the classic sort of CBGB scene. It was them. It was like Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers, the early Talking Heads, you know, you know, these kinds of bands that were like kind of coming together in rebellion against you know, the, the more smoothed out and, um, you know, pop friendly stuff that they were hearing on the radio. They, they were coming up with their own sort of self-taught quasi primitivist but not primitive in an intellectual sense take on music they found themselves centering and congregating around cbgb's as a club the ramones were ones that made the, the most immediate and first impression they got signed to sire records who would then later sign talking heads by the way uh back i think in 1975 and uh they go in the early 1976 to record their first album uh and that's just one of the most iconic albums iconic debuts of all time it's just called ramones and uh it was released i think in like i don't know may of 76 this april before, of 76 yep april 76 this is before Nevermind the bollocks you know this is before um any of the other major punk acts had put anything out and it is an album that is basically flawless i compare it only to to Wire's Pink Flag, which is my favorite, as I said earlier, my favorite punk album by by the British punk scene. Uh, and in fact, Pink Flag almost strikes me as being directly inspired by the Ramones. They took literally every single idea on this album and then just compressed it. Said, well, well let's make it even shorter. These al- these songs are like one minute and fifty five seconds long, so we'll, we'll make ours just fifty five seconds long uh, because you know that's that's a funny art rock gag. But this album is so immediate, so bracing, and it begins right at the first five seconds of the of the, of the album with uh you know hey ho let's go and there's there's joey just singing about doing the blitzkrieg bop hey oh let's go you guys think about i think one of the most unimpeachable debuts of all time is there a better in music history is there a better 30 seconds of any band's career in history than the first 30 seconds of blitzkrieg bob i would say no uh you know it was the the first 30 seconds that that kind of changed everything that changed the world and it's you know that's often an overstatement but uh but in this case i don't actually think it is um you know this album went on to be uh, now, again, Rolling Stone, the 47th greatest album of all time. Oh, who cares uh, what they say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I would agree. Um, although, we'll talk about this later, Rocket to Russia, I think, is actually probably a better album. But uh, you have to give credit for this being the first. 
um, I mean, this is really the, the the album that 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 changed everything. And you know, I, I want to disavow people of this this rumor, this myth that somehow this album came out and everybody loved it right off the bat. Like, uh, you know, there are some scenesters that that enjoyed it. You know, Robert Criscow and uh, Lester Bangs and those guys. Uh, you know, they they liked it, but in terms of uh, critical reception nationwide, uh, it was pretty rough. It was almost universally terrible. Um, and this is a uh, this is a political beats uh, exclusive. I actually went back and I looked at some of the some of the reviews that this album got. And uh, here I'll just read a couple. Um, <laughs> this is from our friend Tom Shite of the da- Tom Shite, <laughs> fittingly of the Dayton News Herald said, <laughs> "Quote." This is El Stinko garbage of the worst kind. In fact, <laughs> in fact, it's so bad, it's almost great. What can I say about a group that screams out such lilting melodies as Chainsaw, based on the <laughs> Chainsaw ma- Murders, Beat on the Brat, and now I want to sniff some glue. Yuck. Uh, here's Those are Charles- all classic songs. <laughs> right. Charles Andrews of the Albuquerque Journal. Quote, yikes. Ever heard one guitar chord held throughout an entire album? <laughs> Even the photo courtesy of Punk Magazine doesn't lend enough atmosphere to overcome musical and lyrical drone. Here's uh, Mike Diana of the Newport Daily Press. Okay, punk rock fans, the ugliest, grubbiest, loudest, simplest band ever to make a record. The Ramones make the New York Dolls seem like Rhodes Scholars and the New York Symphony Orchestra. The Ramones stink. They have no socially redeeming value other than being, other than being put in a recording studio keeps them off the streets. Is uh, Mike Diana of the Newport D- News Daily Press, uh, the the Berkeley newspaper quote: Rumor has it that the Ramones, a punk rock band from New York, only know four chords. It's not true. They only know two. <laughs> um, it goes and goes, goes on and on. Oh my god! Um, a ray of light in all these national uh, reviews that I looked at is a guy named, um, where is he? Uh, oh, Mike Duffy of the Detroit Free Press. In all of America, this is the guy that got the Ramones. Well, you know, I, I'm already, I'm not surprised because Detroit's always had a bigger affinity for them. I mean, this is mm-hmm. the home of the Stooges. Man. Right, I get, Stooges they get there, right? Yeah. Certainly, quote, certainly the schlock rock crowd is going to label this album a dangerous atonal mess. They'll call it Barf Boogie, Rancid Rock, or some such. No, this is not important music. Visceral, pulsating rock rarely is. But it is fun, and the Ramones are definitely that. Don't blame me if they succeed. Blame rock and roll. Ain't it grand? So this guy saw what everybody else should have seen at the time. And you know all these, all these reviewers, like, years later were just, like, you know, trying to erase their, their Ramones. <laughs> they were because hoping that that stuff wouldn't – they were, they were very, very sad that, like, libraries kept clippings of these things and <laughs> kept them all on microfilm. 
uh, because like, oh, geez, <laughs> because this is, right. Like now, this so is like I, the people that panned Exile on Main Street when it first right. came out. Remember? Yeah, I've all called them out, and I uh, I have named names. But you know, there are certain themes that that you see in these reviews. First of all, the fact that they they continually uh, compare the Ramones to the Fonz. They're like. Uh, of happy days they're like this is this is music for the Fonz set back when the Fonz was like dangerous and people thought that he was uh you know a bad influence on their children <laughs> but so i mean it, it's so it's so superficial because all they did is they could only look at the leather jackets and see like oh the Fonz wears a leather jacket i guess right the Ramones are like that too so dangerous um the, so a couple themes keep coming up in these one all all the songs sound the same they're bad for children to listen to and will corrupt the youth. Uh, the lyrics are stupid, and the band only knows three chords and can't play their instruments. So I'll, I'll take a couple of these. First of all, yes, they the, the chords are very simple. They they you know Johnny Ramone plays plays bar chords. If you can play the guitar, you can play a Ramone song. There's no doubt about that. But you know the way Johnny plays. He plays only downstrokes. He plays no upstrokes, which is if you pl play the guitar and you understand playing a song that fast <laughs> and only using downstrokes is virtually impossible. I mean, you have to have, uh, you know, the wrist muscles of, uh, you know, Careful. Uh, yeah, you, you got to be strong to do it. I mean, <laughs> Eddie Van Halen might not even be able to do to, to do that. It's like asking LeBron James to play a full game wearing like a boxing glove on one hand because you have half your half your strokes are taken away from you. The idea that they can only play, you know, two chords or whatever. Yeah, they're bar chords and you play them the same. Look, I can play like 20 open chords and I'm terrible. Uh, you know, I couldn't write the songs that, that the Ramones write. I mean, there are, what, three colors in the, uh, in the palette, three, three primary colors, and yet... You know, Michelangelo paints the Sistine Chapel out of them. So I mean, it was actually uh, it kind of reminds me of the, of the thing I would always say about the Velvet Underground, which is that anybody can play those songs, but n not anybody can write those songs. And exactly. that's the key difference. It's the it's not the the fact that the, the, these are the chords that they play. It's how they put the chords in order. You know how they mix them together. I mean, it's that creative, creative spark. And, you know, nobody could do what the Ramones could do. And you know how I know? Because nobody ever did. Um, you know, the fact that all the sound, songs sound the same is nonsense. We're going to go through some of these songs. You're going to be able to recognize some of them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're instantly recognizable. They're all different. Um, you know, the lyrics are stupid, yes, but they're, they're ingeniously stupid. They're meant to be stupid. They're, they're stupid like a fox is what they are. You know, as right. Homer, Homer Simpson would have said, right? This is 
this is protest music. It's supposed to it's supposed to get the exact rise out of the exact people that it appears to be getting a rise out of. Um, you know, they were they were protesting against hippies. They were protesting against these long, you know, uh, solos and you know these songs that had uh, in in his uh, autobiography, Mickey Lee, who's uh, who's Joey's, Joey's brother, right. brother, yeah, writes that specifically like uh, John Lennon's "Imagine" was a song that they all couldn't stand. They're like, <laughs> imagine no possessions, and you know John Lennon's sitting there playing a piano that costs more than people make in like five years, and he just said, "This is all hypocritical nonsense," and so. And so this is a protest against all that all that stuff. And, you know, the idea that these are bad for children and they'll corrupt the youth. This was a, this was a big theme uh, in a lot of these reviews. Uh, when my daughter was three years old, she was singing Sheena is a punk rocker. I made sure she did. She knows all the Ramones songs. Um, as I said, they are likable to, to, to young children. They're, they're so catchy. Uh, you know, if you have children, make sure they listen to the Ramones. Uh, and uh, I, I, will, I will say this though, Christian, I, I have not yet sung a "Beat on the Brat," "Beat on the Brat," <laughs> "Beat on the Brat" with a baseball bat to the little bopper yet. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna wait to introduce that one. Make sure you get on that. So, with all of that being said, please go on uh, and, and discuss the first album. With that, uh, <laughs> I kind of set the table there for you, Scott. <laughs> I'll add one more review, which I believe was uh, at, at the time, and uh, Robert Criscow, who we've mentioned a few times on the show, uh, he wrote that the Ramones were clean the way the New York Dolls never were, sprightly the way the Velvets never were, and listenable the way Black Sabbath never was. That's a pretty good summation, I think, yep. of why they're different. And, well, frankly, I think why they're better. Uh, listening to this first album, if you don't like Ramon's first album, I'm sorry, you just don't like rock and roll. Uh, not just because Ramon's did so much with this album, but because the influences are, are so clear. Um, you know, the early 60s rock and roll sound that they, that they emulate in many places uh, and that the, you know, what gets lost in the speed and the punk is the is the listenability and, and the melodies that are so bright and catchy throughout this first album. Uh, you know, these songs kind of start and stop wherever they want, uh, which is one of the great things. It is raw, very simple production. Uh, the, 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 the drums have a just this primal thump to them. There's not a lot of sophistication the way that Dee Dee plays bass but it all works together along with johnny's very distinctive guitar which christian already mentioned uh you know lyrically how do you not like a song like judy is a punk which is one of the finest songs on this first album of course we learn in the very first line judy's not the punk judy's the runt jackie is the punk right <laughs> and then so you, you can't trust them but then they come back and give you the the second verse same as the first which is totally true. The second verse is same as the first. The third verse, though, different from the first, which is also true. And they pack this all in with a with a tremendous riff, very catchy song in ninety two seconds.
that's all it takes. Judy is a Punk is a triumph of a song on this first album, and it's full of them. Uh, people know and I imagine love Blitzkrieg Bop. We already mentioned Beat on the Brat, which is just... <laughs> You can't get more basic <laughs> than that drum part. You can't get more basic bat. than the lyric with a baseball bat. Um, Fun fact about uh, Beat on the Brat. At the time, they, the record sire was going to sign a deal with Louisville Slugger to make like mini Beat on the Brat baseball bats, uh, <laughs> which they immediately recognized as a terrible idea because <laughs> they would be used as weapons to, get, uh, to whack people. So, uh, yeah, so they got rid of that. That's idea. bad. That, that, that happens quickly. That happens to baseball teams, too. Uh, actually. <laughs> right. You get thrown on the field or something bad happens. Um, <laughs> the, the Havana Affair is just an amazing track. This bouncy bass line, the thudding echo drum just before the chorus, the boom, and the short, punchy instrumental breaks. The lyrics are, are blasts. Um, uh, you know, baby, baby, make me loco. Baby, baby, make me mambo. Uh, this guy who's, you know, Cuban who's now working for the U.S. government. It's a great, great song. favorites here is also uh, it's the last song of the album it's one of the few where the label stepped in and said you might want to change that lyric uh from i'm a nazi uh to something else to start today your love tomorrow the world the final song on this debut album uh written a bit from Didi's perspective when he was a kid in germany being pushed around as it says in the lyrics uh, it's not i'm a nazi i'm a shock trooper in a stupor the way that this song goes from this crushing riff and this hyper-aggressive opening part, uh, I guess opening three quarters, into this very melodic sing-along close, Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World, and that abrupt change is just a beautiful thing. I love the way this album closes with Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World. bum track there's really not a bum track anywhere on this first album but again even if there were it's done in 90 seconds it's done in two minutes you're on to the next one this is a total (laughs) total triumph of a debut album so this is actually famous for uh all the songs not all of them there are four songs that describe either things they want to do or things that they (laughs) don't don't want to do (laughs) so here here's a list of the things that they want to do they want to be your boyfriend 
and sniff some glue and things they don't want to do, go down to the basement and walk around with you. Uh, and they actually had more songs. They had, I don't want to go down to the basement. I don't want to walk around with you. I don't want to be learned. I don't want to be tamed. And then uh, at some point, somebody said, you know, you need a more positive song. So uh, so they wrote a song saying something they did want to do, which was sniff some glue. So that was their, uh, <laughs> that was their entry into the positive song uh, writing era. One of the things that I that I do think is uh, great on the song is on on the song Chainsaw, where they talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. They take the pronunciation of massacre and <laughs> do it literally like massacre, <laughs> because it's got to rhyme with the next uh, with the next line. Although take my baby it, away from me. It, it should be pointed out though, the beginning of that that's not a chainsaw, that's a circular saw, right? I mean, know your saws. <laughs> I want to be your boyfriend is nice and slow and uh, and romantic. Even the even the songs that people don't know, Havana Fair, Loudmouth, uh, I don't want to walk around with you. These are like bangers live. If you watch some of the live uh, some of the live footage from this era, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Um, and then of course, Fifty Third and Third, which is uh, somewhat controversial because it's basically about young men going and turning tricks on uh, 53rd and 3rd mm -hmm. in, uh, in New York City. And it, it's supposedly autobiograph autobiographical about Dee Dee, who, as we said, had a, a tough upbringing, was uh, frequently uh, on pretty much every drug known to man. Um, he was rumored to be bisexual. And it's, uh, it's pretty grisly. It's about a male prostitute uh, killing a, a John to prove that he's not gay. So... If there were any songs on this album where you could say, yeah, maybe the maybe the lyrical content there is a bit much. And Let's Dance, the cover of the Chris Montez song from 1962, which actually reached number four. Uh, so everybody kind of knew that song. And that's, I mean, this is kind of the point with them, which is it's so interesting that they were considered to be such a groundbreaking uh, musical act that they just, you know, invented this whole new uh, brand of music. When in fact, they, you know, they did borrow so much from uh, from the acts of the early 60s and the late 50s, kind of all the the, the pre British invasion acts, mm -hmm. uh, and yet they just kind of repackaged it 
and uh, and made it their own. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, they just played them a lot faster, and people were like, "Wow, this is a this is a revelation." I think the thing I want to emphasize about this, which is what I uh, mentioned earlier when Christian was talking, is that you know this album, and I guess maybe the Ramones' entire public presentment is stupid like a fox. These songs, you know, okay, like oh yeah, you know, beat on the brat. Blitzkrieg bop. Now I want to sniff some glue. You know, talking about, you know, like, you know, dumb suburban ennui things that, like, you know, malcontent middle class kids get up to when they're just bored at home. It's all, as, as was pointed out, this is protest music in its own way. This is protest against sort of the boredom of a bourgeois upbringing in, you know, you know in a city or in the suburbs. Uh, this is the kind of music that that poses intentionally as being not smart, but is actually far more intelligent than it lets on. And the way you can tell that is is through the chord constructions, through the chord changes. I never understood you know, when Christian was reading those early reviews. They said like, "Oh, this is monochromatic. Oh, this is noisy. Oh, you can't hear anything." But of course, none of that is true. This is all extremely melodic and well-constructed music, and there's a lot of variation. Like, I Want to Be Your Boyfriend is yeah. actually kind of like, you know, like an early 60s, you know, mm-hmm. Shangri-La's kind of a change of pace. You know, it's definitely different than the first three songs. Yeah, Chainsaw is definitely, you know, you know kind of noxiously <laughs> loud, which is kind of what I like about it. But then, of course, then they do something like Havana Affair. You know, which is like this this hilariously fun thing about like, you know, like getting on a PT boat and going, I assume it's like a Bay of Pigs rewrite. I'm a guy for the CIA. Hooray for the USA. It's like silly, but it's also hilarious and fun and subversive. And that's what the Ramones entire worldview was going to be about. This is a, a, an album that is uh, basically, you know, unimpeachable. Uh, and the only knock against it is that it's not their greatest album uh, because that would be yet to come. But I guess that takes us to the second album. So who wants to talk about Leave Home? Is this a, a dip in quality or is this every bit as good? I'm going to go with this is every bit as good as the first one. I don't really see why people would rate this lesser than the other one. Well, just to, before we get to that, in, in terms of uh, band history, right after this album comes out, they go play this famous show on the 4th of July uh, 1976, so it's America's Bicentennial, but they go to England and they play this show. They play one show uh, at a big, like, 3,000-person club, but the very next night they play this one show where members of the Sex Pistols and the Clash and the Damned, all these people claim to have been there for this show, and they, you know, just seeing the Ramones there immediately opens their eyes to the possibilities of punk rock. This is like the uh, punk version of claiming that you were at Woodstock. <laughs> Exactly. It's like uh, it's like when the Sex Pistols eventually came over and they played San Francisco and there were all these bands that said, yeah, we, like I would just watch the Go-Go's documentary and they were like, yeah, we saw the Sex Pistols and and that's when we immediately wanted to be a band. So that was like this for uh, for, you know, it was the American invasion and it just happened to ha- happen on the uh, on the 4th of July. So you're welcome, England. Um, so, yeah, Joe Strummer after that, eventually he called them the daddy group of punk rock. Um, so I take Joe Strummer's at his word and, uh, you know, Johnny Rotten, I've seen interviews with him where he says, well, you know, we were already a band and, you know, we were already kind of doing our own thing, but they were uh, doing pub rock back then though. I know that for a fact they were in the one oh one ers and it was more like Brinsley Schwartz than it was the clash. (laughs) Right. That's just, uh, you know, that's just, uh, Johnny Rotten being Johnny Rotten, I think, but, uh, so it, ha- it has this huge influence. Uh, everybody loves the Ramones. And then 
they come out with Leave Home. I believe this is uh, this is January of 1977. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, our old friend Tom Scheidt of the Dayton News Herald is back. <laughs> Quote, if you bought or heard the first Ramones album, you've also heard their latest. Put the two albums on back-to-back and it will be like a 90-minute single. The words are unintelligible. Their guitars sound like a cross between a bear with strep throat and a bro- broken mixmaster. They are punks pushing garbage, yet somehow they make it work. Another one, the Newport Daily Press. Do yourself a favor. Burn this record. Step on it and or stick it at the bottom of the cat box. The Ramones are rotten and moronic. You know these these bad reviews. You know it, it 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 it's almost beside the point at this at, at this late date. We get it. They just didn't grasp what this was about. You know what the, you right. know what you know what this album is about. It, 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 the absolute epitome of this album is a song called Pinhead. Yep. I mean, which I think some of us may be putting at the end of the show in our top five, which you know just opens with the you know the that that line from uh, you know from Freaks. You know, you know, gobble, gobble, one of us, one of us, one of us. And then, of course, it ends with gabba, gabba, hey, which is, of course, become like one of the great Ramones like slogans, uh, which is their way of saying that, like, you know what? You know, we don't care how what you look like, what you think. Uh, you know, we don't care where you come from, whether you're cool or you're a loser. If you like our music, you're one of us. And if you get it, if you're in on the joke, then you're one of us. Not a lot of people were in on the joke back at the time, but that song is just so wonderfully iconic because it actually has a genuine sense of inclusion. You know, this is a band that posed as being a family, even though they obviously not not only were they not related, but they actually fought rather bitterly amongst themselves. But you know, for the people who were in on the cult and got it, it felt like you were in on a great big secret. It kind of felt like it, you know, the way it felt for me, like when I was like a Radiohead fan back in the early '90s when they weren't big and everybody thought that they were just lame. And I was like, no, 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 you don't realize they're going to be big someday. Someday people are going to say this is one of the great bands of all time. If you were into the Ramones in early '77 and they wrote that song, they were speaking directly to you, and it was your secret for you to treasure. time i heard pinhead i think was in private parts the howard stern film where he's trying to talk it up uh, playing it on the small radio station on which he starts uh 
This is, I mean, the, the, the review, review reviewer said the songs sound similar to the first. I mean, they should. They're essentially all from the same, you know, writing sessions. It's it's a continuation with better production. I mean, that that's that's clear, uh, no pun intended, from like the very first song, Glad to See You Go. It's just, I mean, the, the production is crisper, clearer. They spent more than 600 bucks recording the album. That's one of the main differences between uh, Ramones and, and Leave Home. But the you know the, the grooves are the same. The, the point is the same. The songs are just as solid. You might hear, I would say, a little bit more, a little bit more of that early '60s, you know, late '50s, early '60s rock and roll, early rock and roll influence. So I'm like, I remember you uh, with George. Oh, no, how about at the end of Oh Oh I Love Her yes. So, where they they throw in that Beatles "She Loves You" chord right at the end, yep. just like. Bring! Yep, those... Such an obvious wink to that era. It's so transparent. Oh, oh, I love a soul. 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 Was, that is such a sweet, like, 50s-style song. I mean, and it even begins with, like, with Joey meeting a girl at a Burger King, which is, uh, you know... A, Burger a King shows up in a lot of Ramon songs, as a, it turns out. It's a prelude to the Humpty Dance uh, many years later. Uh, Burger King had a lot of great uh, lot of great appearances on, on great songs. So, yeah. But, it, I mean, it's just such a sweet song. Um, Gimme Gimme Shock Treatment is, is on this album. Oh, oh, I love her so... Uh, which we just talked about, Carbona, not glue. There's a controversy around this song. They they put the song on the original album, and then the band's lawyers came to them. Carbona is like some cleaning fluid or something. <laughs> it, yeah. It's paint thinner, is what it is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so this is a brand name, and so you can't mess with the brand, especially when you're advising kids to go huffing. <laughs> it's probably right. going to get you. Even uh, <laughs> now, I want to sniff some glue in England. They actually like passed a law, an anti-sniffing glue. Uh, law because of because of the ramon song and here they're back telling kids don't sniff glue sniff carbona <laughs> it's a better high that's right they actually said that and of course and it was all just a put on but like yeah you're not gonna get away with that I believe Johnny actually did. Johnny actually sniffed glue and uh, and maybe some carbona back in the day. Uh, they were they were uh, experimental in that way. So and then uh, you know how can you how can you hate California Sun, the song by the Rivieras that they uh, that they covered? It's just just amazing. And yet the album uh, topped out at number one hundred and forty eight on the charts. <laughs> did not did not have the effect that they wanted. Um, I got to talk about Commando, which is one of my favorite Ramon songs. I, Johnny apparently loved it. It's the name of his autobiography as well. 
Um, man, is that a great one, poppy, bouncy melody. Uh, you know, from, from old Hanoi to East Berlin Commando involved again. And that call and response about the four rules of Commando, of course, uh, right. makes that song just so good. Before that, uh, or a little before that, swallow my pride, man. That that's a single that could have could have definitely worked. Uh, it has that ch- same chug chug uh, like beat on the brat does from the from the first album, and uh, you know the way that that Joey sings it. I, I know Jeff has someone in mind. I won't steal his thunder about who he uh, Joey was influenced by when it comes oh, to vocals. Go for it. Go for it. We'll, well, we'll do this together. I think uh, it's, it's it's Ray Davis, right? Yeah, he well, sounds like early Kings, yep. isn't it? But I was going to go the other direction and say so, stuff like Swallow My Pride and a few other songs I think clearly influence singers to come. Like I, I hear like Rico Kasich here and there in, uh-huh. in, in Joey's vocals. Sort of that, that, that halting, jerky uh, delivery that that David Byrne has as well, and swallow my pride, especially in the chorus. Is swallow my pride, very very chopped vocal uh-huh. delivery from Joey in the chorus of swallow my pride. I, I hear him. It, it's, him one, it's one of those people too. Po- sorry, sorry to interrupt you. It's just one of those those songs that I listen to. Uh, yeah, I go back to it again, and it's like so effortless as a pop song that people just are going to miss it. I think sometimes because of that vaguely narcoleptic singing style that Joey has, mm-hmm. but. Dude, this song is is pure pop for now people and yeah, I mean that yeah. very much in the literal Nick Lowe sense because Nick Lowe absolutely would have written a song like this mm-hmm. lyrics and all this could have been off of that album off of his first album That, that 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 sort of that compactness, that brevity. This is this is the song that like you know guys like Elvis Costello and Lowe in, in England listened to and thought I- I've got to do that. And you know what? I don't have to sing like you know a crooner. I can just be my own weird gangly yep. self and get away with it. And I don't want to jump ahead, but I will just very briefly because it's on point. The the first song on the next album, Creed and Hop on Rocket to Russia, that sounds like a Joe Jackson song. Like completely yes. like a Joe Jackson song. Like got the time. That's it's, it's, it's exactly that. An unindicted co-conspirator on this album is uh Didi's girlfriend at the time, uh and I forget her name, but uh they uh, obviously had a very violent relationship. <laughs> she uh at some point she broke a beer bottle and cut him on the butt with it. Um <laughs> and so, that's that's why he's glad to see you go. <laughs> yes. 
Exactly. That's uh, Joey. Joey wrote that song about Dee Dee's girlfriend. Then uh, you're gonna kill that girl near the near the end of the album, uh, which is almost like a doo-wop version of uh, you know with with horrible lyrics. Um, that was another ode to their uh, to their uh, violent uh, relationship. So uh, he Dee Dee broke up with her uh, shortly thereafter, and I think everybody was was happy with that. <laughs> with, with, with songs like that, no wonder the, uh, the the old folks weren't really tuned into the Ramones. By the way, we can't we can't move on from this album without talking about a song that I know that all of us think is a fantastic song, which is, uh, I hope at least we all think it is, because I think Susie is a headbanger is not only great, yes. but it's also, a, a, it is, is the first half of a wonderful pairing, which is Susie is a headbanger and Sheena is a punk rocker <laughs> off the next album. But the, well, these two the, songs the, must be considered together. <laughs> and the first is Judy is a punk. You have like the first, uh, it's almost a triumvirate. Right. I just like these songs. Just again, until you've heard them, you don't understand why it works. But like you know, there's that sudden dropout right near the start of each verse in Susie that I just love it because this is a band that worked so hard to sound stupid, but they were so transparently smart as songwriters. That drum beat is so rock simple, and yet it is utterly irresistible. think this is you know an album that is almost every bit the equal of the debut album and yet neither of those i think i would rate as the ramones greatest album because what comes next is of course i think the one that maybe we are all in consensus about here it's not the iconic debut but it's their best album pound for pound and that is rocket to russia from the latter half of 1977 christian you get the first bite at the apple <laughs> Yes, far more polished, uh, recorded for $30,000, peaked at number 49 on the Billboard chart. But Not bad, uh, for yeah, them. this is. Um, so when they were recording this album, uh, Johnny brought in a copy of the Sex Pistols' God Save the Queen. And he was so angry when he heard it. He thought it was a ripoff of what they had been doing. So he goes to their engineer, Ed Stasium, and he says, We need to outdo this album, this record. Uh, and so that's what they tried to do. And I think they did. Um, you know, uh, this was actually reviewed in the same edition of Rolling Stone as Nevermind the Bullocks. So that was quite quite an edition of Rolling Stone. 
Um, I mean, from the very get-go, Crete and Hop, uh, Rockaway Beach, which is funny because if you ever picture any of the Ramones going to the beach, it uh, it seems like they would evaporate right off the, <laughs> right off the bat. I think Pale Dee Dee... and in leather jackets, not not beach guys. Yeah, I, I gotta say very very quickly, Rockaway Beach. Uh, I, I'm a Chicago kid. Uh, I, yeah. I I had no idea it was an actual place until. Yep. That American Airlines crash just after 9-11, when, it, when the plane literally crashed on Rockaway Beach. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I guess that is a real place. In, you thought in, it was just York. like a rock I, joke? A I rock thought it was, pond? yeah, like, like this fictitious 1950s-ish kind of place where all the hip kids would go, Rockaway Beach, let's head to Rockaway Beach. No, it's it, yeah. it's a real place. terrible beach um but it's (laughs) it's not far or hard to reach so uh yeah so that is uh that's a great song i mean you you watch it live and it's a real banger but the song that i really want to talk about is sheena's a punk rocker which not only is the ramones greatest song ever uh it's probably my favorite rock song of all time um I've actually heard people say this is actually a feminist anthem. <laughs> um, the Ramones were definitely not a feminist band uh, for many reasons we can maybe discuss later. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, uh, it's just such a perfect song. It's, uh, f- you know, f- for some reason, I want to know why kids are taking their surfboards to the discotheque. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I mean. These yeah. lyrics aren't just like funny and smart. They're almost like weirdly impressionistic. <laughs> There's like almost a Dylan-esque quality to that line. I just think and it's I think, awesome. I think this is actually the first song that ever refers to punk rock uh, in, as an actual mu- musical movement. The, right. the, the, ter- the term was always out there, but they codify it. And I think maybe this is why they get a lot of credit for, for being, you know, the first punk rock band is because they were the first really to identify it in a song. But, uh, I mean, the song is just so great. Um, it has like, at some point during a breakdown, it has like the Christmas bells from you'd hear in like pet sounds. Um, you know, it, it just has everything. It's just the, the greatest song covered by Husker Du on the living end. Uh, the last song on there. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, as I said, when my child was three years old, I, I taught her the song and we sang it together. Uh, it's just so perfect. It's it's about uh, Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, who was a uh, a DJ in New York at the time. Uh, so it, it 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 talks about her, and then there's a little bit about Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, is also a comic book uh, character, and so they just mix all that together. And I just think it's it's a perfect song from front to back, and um, yeah, it just makes the whole album. <laughs>
this is the Ramones album that has everything. I mean everything. Everything you could ever want from them delivered in the best possible way. It begins with Crete and Hop, which is like, again, they're really leaning into that fake dumb thing. They're practically begging you to realize that it's a put-on. I, I, I actually truly believe that that one, two, three, four, Cretans want to hop some more is a line of profound philosophical genius. <laughs> <laughs> As we're a happy family, yeah, yeah, which is maybe their best ever pure punk song. It, it, it's it's pop nihilism about you know, the boring lower middle class suburbs. What is it? We're all making a fortune selling daddy's dope, and there's that, that great chorus which just makes me laugh every time. Sitting here in Queens eating refried beans, we're all in the <laughs> magazines gulping down Thorazines. <laughs> it's not only about like bored kids, you know, as an anthem to that but also it feels like they're like they're writing about themselves as a, as a group you know i was going to say we're all in the magazines but it also it's kind of like about explicitly about like the weird dysfunctional and yet family-ish relationship that they all have as a group we're a fa- happy family it's just so amazing I want to say, and then I'll kick it over to Scott, is that this is what I mean when I say this is the album that has everything for you, if you want to get into the Ramones. They, Ramones don't get enough credit for being a fantastic cover band. They choose their covers well. They have an understanding of what works for them and why it's appropriate for what their sound is and what they want to be in. This album has two of the best covers that they ever did. They do a version of Do You Want to Dance? Now, I remember when we did our Beach Boys episode, I pointed out that when I heard the Beach Boys version, I always thought it was a Beach Boys original. It's actually not. Beach Boys were covering an earlier song, and the Ramones do their version of it too. But they do it in the style of the Beach Boys and just make it clear that their allegiance is to that kind of early 60s surf rock Beach Boys sound, and they kill it. They don't have like the Brian Wilson, you know, wrecking crew orchestral sound to it. But for a four piece band, they are ripping that song apart. Nothing, and I mean nothing, will beat the single greatest cover song that the Ramones will ever do, <laughs> and that is, and you guys know where I'm going here, it's the yep. Surfing Bird. Uh, <laughs> yep. 
everybody's heard about the word bird is the word you know we all know the original song well i mean not all of us i hope you know it's one of these great early 60s novelty songs by the trash man and the thing about it that's so hilarious is that you realize when the ramones covered it they were they covered it because they understood and that in in a way that makes you immediately understand it when you hear it that this was a Ramones song before the ramones <laughs> this was the, exactly the sort of like completely off the wall weird insouciant you know like expectation subverting nonsense that you know is is immediately appealing on a sub rational level you hear you hear Joey going like doing the breakdown doing like <laughs> with the echo and, and it's just a joy it's 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 almost as good as the original and i actually mean that as a compliment because you know other people might think this is a r- ridiculous song and i think it's it, it's it's its own little slice of moron pop genius and it's both its original version and the ramones version guys you gotta go here the ramones do surf and bird when everybody's about the bird. We have gotten to this point in the Rocket to Russia conversation without mentioning what I think are the two best songs on the album, which is merely a testament to how deep of an album it is, because everything that Christian and Jeff has said is true. Those are all fantastic songs, but so we've got to talk about A, Teenage Lobotomy, which yeah. <laughs> might be my favorite Ramones song of them all. It is mm-hmm. everything they are in one uh, two minute and ten second package. Those, those bouncy verses, uh, the way that they shout out a Teenage Lobotomy, the, the absolute crunch of the guitar, uh, the drum bass guitar intro at the, at the start of the song, uh, the kind of weird, well, <laughs> the lyrics. I guess I'll I guess I'll have to tell them that I've got no cerebellum. What a rhyme. What a rhyming scheme. <laughs> Who thinks of that? Tell them and Cerebellum, a, 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 a rhyme for the ages. Um, you know, the exposure to DDT. But then it, it, the question, of course, is is life better because he's had the lobotomy? T- you know, ch- girls love him. He's going to get his PhD. Things seem to be okay after it, his it's a real lobotomy. Thinker. It's a real, phil- it's a real phil- <laughs> philosophical piece. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a freaking fantastic song. And then, uh, Here Today, Gone Tomorrow. Oh, yes! my God, do I love this song. Um, 
It's kind of sort of mid-tempo, jangly. I mean, a, a, a hundred bands were birthed by Here Today, Gone Tomorrow. You, I can hear a little R.E.M. in there. I can hear some of the Smiths in there. I can hear yeah. all of these bands that sort of take their cue from the most unorthodox song on the album, I think, from a Ramones, you know, uh, template. Um, Low-key, sort of ballad, very mournful lyrics. You know, it's it's a it's a breakup. You know, we couldn't go on. It's time to say, you know, we ought, we ought to break it. Someone has to pay the price. The way it, it ends on that line, too. Someone had to pay the price. Um, Nearly three minutes long, which yep. is practically blasphemy for the Ramones <laughs> at this point in yeah. their career. But that is just a marvelous song and, and does speak to some of their... Uh, advancements in writing, although they, they were advanced from the start. They were able to do all these different things in many different songs, and, and something that uh, I'm sure Christian mentioned earlier in, in reading the reviews, and you know, all the songs sound the same. Man, that is so far from the truth. Um, right. How can you listen to Here Today, Gone Tomorrow and think, like, this isn't a, a welcome respite from the rest of the album? I mean, it's just, it's insane. Oh, oh, oh. Even the fast, up-tempo, you know, downstroke Johnny songs, they all have their own personality. They all have their own hooks. They are all distinctive. You see the, the title, you know the song. They're different. I mean, Ramona is one of those ones that no one talks about, but I love that one, too. Like the little, ooh, little Ramona chorus. Just a little a little pure pop delight on this record, which I just, I mean, I, I, I will say, and I know that a lot of us are, are, are in agreement here, is it is is their best album. It's their greatest achievement. Before we move on to the fourth album of the Ramones' career, I do want to take a moment to talk about the album, a live album. Uh, called It's Alive. It was actually released after uh, Road to Ruin, and it was only released in the United Kingdom, I believe, or Europe. It wasn't released in the United States until like 20 years later or something like that. So, you know, for us here in America, it it had the, the sense of an archival release. I cannot emphasize enough, people, you absolutely must hear it's alive. This is a double album, a double album on two vinyl. <laughs> it's on two vinyl discs, and it's still only fifty-three minutes long, which is shorter than like "Selling England by the Pound" by Genesis <laughs> or Bob Dylan's "Desire," which were on one record. And that's just the Ramones, like you know, kind of, I assume making a statement. But this is just a. This is a, basically the Ramones' greatest hits. It's it's their New Year's Eve gig, uh, nineteen seventy-eight, I believe, at like the Brixton Academy or something like that, in England, in London, and uh, they're running through all of their songs 
and they're killing it. This is an incredibly hot band. This is a band where you, you can understand why they would be a great live act. It's not like you know these songs had a lot of production, you know, trickery in them. This is clearly you know four piece playing live in the studio. This stuff translated even better to the stage uh, than you would hope because this thing is is just. It's just one long adrenaline rush. You're like they finish one song and then that's one, two, three, four, and then into another one, and then one, two, three, four, and then another one, and and you'll never get tired of it. It's 53 minutes with like 29 songs or whatever it is. I can't even remember how long it is. Uh, everything you'd want to hear from from their first three records is played here. Get it's alive. I'm actually telling you right now, this is going to be one of my top two albums at the end of the show, just because it captures everything about the early Ramones career that is so great about them. As great as their studio albums are, there's nothing like the Ramones' live experience. It's like listening to the uh, listening to the studio albums is like learning about the human uh, uh, reproductive system uh, by reading it in a in a biology in a book and experiencing it up <laughs> yeah. up close and in person. Uh, you just have to do it, and uh, you're right. This is absolutely amazing. And there's also a video of that very concert uh, on YouTube that I would definitely recommend you go check out. And there's there's a uh... There's a good deal of Ramones live stuff on YouTube, and I was going from show to show. There's one in Germany, and I think 77, and uh, they've got uh, the, the people in the front seat at like cocktail tables, and one half of the audience seems to understand what's happening, and the people in the cocktail <laughs> tables have no idea whatsoever what is hitting them at that very moment. It's a fun little dichotomy between audience members <laughs> at that Ramones show, but just and that's them fire. at the height the height of their powers. I think that was just when uh, just when Rock to Russia had come out. So yeah, yeah. All right, so who wants to talk about the fourth Ramones studio album? Sort of what is considered generally to be the fourth of the, like, this, 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 I'm probably not pronouncing this word. Is it a quadrumvirate? I don't know. There's, there's no <laughs> quadrumvirate. I don't know how. I don't know. A tetralogy. Let's just call it a tetralogy, right? You know, the first four albums are always considered to be of a piece, and then there's this big break with, with the weird Phil Spector one that we'll get to. But the last of these four is Road to Ruin, and this is where Tommy leaves the band. Their drummer, Tommy Ramon, uh, Tommy Erdogi is his real name. He's Hungarian, yes. actually. His parents, he's actually like dark story his parents were like holocaust survivors and they like you know had to like hide in a basement that kind of a thing during world war ii they immigrated to you know new york to america after that and you know that's where tommy came from but he was actually i think a really great drummer uh but he was he was tired of the grind i think he was he probably had friction with johnny i believe and so he he wanted to quit the band but he didn't quit the band entirely uh, he he stayed on as their manager, I believe, and also as uh, their uh, producer. And he produced Road to Ruin for the band. 
And this is the one that, that I think really does represent a departure, and not in a bad way at all, uh, but a departure from the sound of the first three albums. If you, if you thought about, like, Here Today, Gone Tomorrow being, like, a, uh, a, a, a sort of, you know, stretching out and, and going in a different direction than a lot of the early Ramones songs on, um, on Rocket to Russia, well, on Road to Ruin, they really start going in different directions. And I think they really, and I think maybe this is Joey's influence as well. I suspect that it is. Um, uh, but also, Dee Dee was really into just doing a lot of pop songs and, uh, and, and moving into pop areas. Of course, the rap that's always given to them is like they were searching for greater commercial success. You know, as if that's some sort of bad thing to you know like to do. It's like oh, they're selling out. Uh, I I I don't think so at all. I think this is you know this deserves to be in and mentioned in the same breath as the other three early Ramones albums. And the first thing I'll, I'll mention is that my favorite song on the album is probably "I'm Against It." Yes. <laughs> Because it's such a clear, it's, a, it's such a funny parody of protest music, right? For, you know, dis, but but this in time, of course, they're writing from that disaffected, non-political teen point of view. So, like, no matter what it is, whether it's Vietnam or it's Burger King or whatever, yeah, Burger King comes back again. You know, I'm <laughs> against it. You know, it's such a funny song, and it's it, again just you know another one of these unimpeachable, like really quick, really smart pop melodies. <laughs> What do you guys think about Road to Ruin? I do wonder if uh, the South Park guys got the idea for the uh, the end of America, you know, F yeah, F, F the, from I'm against it, you know, just listing all those things that they're for in America, you know, exactly. books. Um, Jeff mentioned this, but I want to make clear, look, the band was clearly interested in being successful, which is not a bad thing. We're going to make music and we want people to buy it and we want to be on the radio and we want to be successful. We're going to make money. And I think Road to Ruins the one or the first time that that sort of creeps into the sound. There, there are some nods to potentially having a little more commercial success on Road to Ruin. It's not a terrible thing, although it, it will explain some decisions coming in the next few albums, I, I think, kind of keeping that in mind. I, I, I think largely the songs are of a slightly lesser uh, quality than certainly on Rocket to Russia. It's, that, that's a hard, um, it's a hard bar to match, I suppose. And there are some really fine moments. I, I will say uh, two of my favorite songs, both are in that Here Today, Gone Tomorrow mold, uh, I guess. W one is Don't Come Close, um, which again is just a, essentially a power pop kind of song with this very, very nice, beautiful bubbling guitar line and I, I, in my notes i literally just wrote sunny acoustic electric pop yeah it's gu guitar solos is this the ramon selling out nah it's just great music that I, was it's i completely agree. i think it sounds like early pretended you know it's
then questioningly, which is uh, on the second side, and it's just just evidence, more evidence that they could do pretty things. Questioningly is a beautiful song. Uh, and kind of partner it up with Don't Come Close. Those two, again, sort of breaks from the uh, the canon, uh, the canon sound of Ramones, so to, so to speak, are, are two of the very big highlights of this album. In the morning I do love I'm Against It. Fantastic song. Uh, I just want to have something to do. That first song on the album, that's one where I hear the play for radio, which again is not the worst thing in the world, but there are certain elements of the way that that the the guitar notes sustain in places, feels more glittery in places, a little, uh, I guess, a little more glammy in places. I like it. But again, that's where you know Tommy's production and, and and some of the little accoutrements they're adding in places to perhaps be more palatable to radio and, and a larger commercial audience are 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 valid and are obvious in, in places. Didn't work. Road to Ruin uh, stole out in the '40s as well. Uh, but it's a fine, fine album. Yeah. See, the the way I look at it is, on Rocket to Russia, the band said, okay, we're going to bring our fans to us and we're going to do a great album doing what we do and the, you know, the fans will come flocking to this album. When they didn't, <laughs> they turned around and they said, okay, now we're going to go to our fans. We're going to go where they are. Uh, and I think that's, when, uh, that, that's how Road to Ruin came about. Uh, you're right, Don't Come Close, uh, the cover of Needles and Pins, which is a really nice, uh, really nice cover, slow, slower song. Uh, but we've gone through this whole uh, album without mentioning Rolling Stone's number 145 song of all time, which is <laughs> I Want to Be Sedated, uh, which if you ask a lot of people what the one Ramon song they know is, uh, it's going to be I Want to Be Sedated, which is a Joey song. Uh, he wrote it about uh, you know being on tour and uh, being knocked out by drugs and uh, a lot of the health problems that he had. And he had he had health problems his entire life as a as a teenager, he was uh, uh, he went to go see a doctor that said, "Well, he's got you know schizophrenia, and uh, he's going to be a vegetable his whole life, and it'll never never amount to anything." When he was born, he actually had uh, a, a tumor on his <laughs> on his spine, uh, and it's one of these deals where it's like a, uh, and you might want to skip ahead if if you're easily grossed out. It's like one of these uh, conjoined twins that doesn't exactly. Uh, uh, develop and so it has like hair and teeth in it so it's like this baseball sized tumor that they took off of him uh and he had he had these problems his entire life and then you mix that with uh with the alcoholism uh that he would develop soon after after this album
He was fighting not only his own demons, but another demon in the band, uh, Johnny, who is uh, just an awful human being. Uh, and we can talk about that later. But uh, yeah, so I, I agree. I think this is them going to the, to their fans saying, please, please, we want to hit. Uh, and it didn't happen. But again, if if the first three albums are all A's, this is like maybe an A minus. I wouldn't even consider it an A minus. I think that it, it's just as good as the earlier ones with the understanding and you have to understand going in that it's different it sounds a little bit different from everything else like we already talked about like i'm against it i don't want i want to be sedated and all those things but you know what like i love bad brain too which is like more, much more of a throwback to the earlier punk stuff right which i believe the, the band bad brains which is yes. The, yes the great dc punk hardcore speedcore bands took their name from and um you know i got a bad brain which is you know, just a simple simple idea but it works there's just nothing that's the funny thing about those four early ramones albums you can never look at a song and say like that's a bad song that song doesn't work nothing on these albums fails to work to which is Scott. yeah let me jump in because there's two other tracks i just want to mention where clearly uh, clearly future bands were influenced there's a song called i don't want you which is a good song and uh, i don't know if jeff knows smoking popes i know christian does this great kind of pop punk uh chicago band chicago band played a lot in wisconsin up there as well i mean smoking popes are great but that sound is just lifted right off of i don't want you that that melodic kind of angular start stop riffing it's all taken from i don't want you <laughs> song it's a long way back on road to ruin uh mid-90s band called letters to cleo from the boston scene they had a very minor hit on college radio called awake and the first 10 seconds of awake is just lifted from it's a long way back those descending uh, chords that start the song it's exactly the same in in awake from letters to cleo so again there's just a lot of bands that were paying attention and, and, and taking little pieces of what ramones were doing to to make their own a template for their bands. So now here's where things get really rather weird. <laughs> okay, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of become an accepted fact that you cannot introduce Phil Spector into any situation without things getting weird. That usually involves guns, megalomania, perhaps even threatened murder. Uh, so then, first of all, actually, you know what? Before we even get to end of the century, let's just have a brief discussion about rock and roll high school. Christian obviously discussed them at the beginning of the show. Uh, yes. You know the the film, which is uh, you know great great B movie schlock. It is fun. It's stupid, but it's fun. 
And it, it does sort of get at the, the Ramones sort of ethos. Yeah, just like, yeah, you know, rebellion, but ironic rebellion. And uh, you have to understand this at a certain remove. It, it's not just about what it's it, – this is – I feel like um, – a postmodernist, like interpreting a text, like the text itself is not the thing. It's the interpretation of the text from secondary remove. The Ramones understood full well that like, you know, the idea of like kids rebelling against the principal and bringing their favorite band in and then, then binding you know, them together to burn the school down in an act of rebellion. And of course they, it actually ends with Alice Cooper's schools out, schools out forever, schools out for, for summer. Um, this is obviously a joke. You know, it's a joke that's, that's meant to sort of, you know, frighten the parents and thrill the children. Um, but that song, that title track is one of the great Ramon songs of all time. And I don't think I, I think we would be remiss if we moved on from Road to Ruin to End of the Century without discussing the joys of just hearing, you know, rock 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 and roll high school and you got to hear it in the uh the ed stasium remix the, the one on the album the actual original soundtrack album is like weird and like badly mixed uh but there's the the there's a remix that was done by their producer that sounds much more like classic ramones and in that version it is one of the classic ramones songs of all time at some point on uh, Twitter, Rivers Cuomo of uh, Weezer suggested a, a remake of uh, of Rock and Roll High School, perhaps God. starring Weezer. No, uh, no, Weezer ruins every good song. I know. I, I, I responded, I'm in as long as I get to be the guy that shoves uh, cereal into Joey's mouth and says, you need more riboflavin. And, uh, and, and I got a retweet from Rivers Cuomo, so that's pretty much my, uh, my, my claim to fame at this point. Yeah. Um, it, 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 just a little factoid about that. In the actual movie and on the soundtrack, uh, the actress who plays Riff Randall, PJ Souls, who PJ was 30 Souls years, yeah. she's 30 years old at the time, so she <laughs> was playing a, a high school student. She was married to, uh, to actor Dennis Quaid uh, at the time, and they do a version of the song where she sings it, and Dennis Quaid actually does uh, background vocals on that uh, version of the song. So <laughs> there's your... Uh, PJ Souls had a pretty interesting like mid seventies because she was in Halloween, if I recall. Yep. She, she, was, right. she, was, she was one of the dead meat, you know, girls who got who got killed because they weren't virgins. And you know, she was in Stripes, and then she was the uh, the the title of a local H album, another great Chicago band. Call, uh, they called their album "Whatever Happened to PJ Souls." So she's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, she's still I, I believe she's still around. Yeah. Uh, and a after seeing this, my friends and I actually used to uh, used to greet each other in the halls of middle school by saying "Gabba Gabba Hey." <laughs> so uh, definitely, uh, definitely a big moment for all of us. So you know, you know, and, and the song "Rock and Roll High School" was actually re-recorded for their upcoming album, "End of the Century," by Phil Spector. And anybody who's listened to both versions of these songs knows full well that the re-recording isn't nearly as good as the original version. <laughs>
which brings us to the first genuinely disappointing album of the Ramones career. And why was it disappointing? Well, there's a hundred different reasons. Maybe they were they were running out of ideas. You know, they're, they're grinding away at all these, you know, songs and, and, and the endless touring gig. And then, of course, Tommy leaves and uh, maybe they aren't really feeling as much inspiration as they had at the time. Drugs and all those things probably taking a toll too. Didi, Didi, the sad thing about Didi Ramon is he was kind of like a lifelong heroin addict, and and that was a problem. The other guys had it was actually Johnny. You know, he he might have been a jerk, but he was the only one who was basically clean. Who <laughs> didn't have yeah. a huge crippling drug problem? Um, yeah, he he held the band together. The only reason the band was together for as long as they were is because Johnny was such an a hole. And uh, it made sure everybody showed up on time, and you know everybody else was. Which has its virtues. Mm-hmm. And so, right. and so, and, so and, and here's the thing: Phil Spector had noticed this band early on because you know he had an ear for, uh, you know, they might have been described as punk and as like you know troglodytes, but he understood that like, oh man, these guys are really taking their inspiration from the early '60s sounds and and a lot of my music as well. So he knew that they were into the kinds of music that he had made back in his K-Day. And so he actually approached them on Rocket to Russia and said, hey, you want me to do this? And they said, no, 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 we're we're working with Tommy. Uh, But on End of the Century, they turned to him as their producer. And there's this, this, this weird, like, trend of, like, Phil Spector, late 70s productions, turning into weird disasters. I, I don't know if either you guys are Leonard Cohen fans, but he did a, a Leonard Cohen album called Death of a Ladies Man in 1977, which is, you know, I, I'm a big Leonard Cohen fan, but oh my God, what a disaster that album is. Because uh, you can imagine Phil Spector trying to put the Phil Spector sound onto a guy who's like just a quiet singer-songwriter. Uh, it, it's just as problematic when he tries to put that sound onto a punk band like the Ramones, uh, this is an album that has some good songs, but even its best songs are compromised. Like um, Chinese Rock, which is a song that Dee Dee had actually written way back when in 1975, for, and he gave it to Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers. That version is the best version. Uh, Husker Du actually did a pretty credible cover of it, actually, as well. Uh, their version is okay, and it's one that Phil Spector seems to have the least input on. It yeah. sounds the most like a Ramones song. I don't know. I but really, man, I really like it. Actually, I, I, mean, I like it a lot. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but I mean, if you've ever heard the the original Johnny Thunder's version, yeah. I think that that's that's the superior take. much of the rest of this just feels so wrong like the first song on the album that was it like, do you remember you know like rock and roll radio like ugh, everything I, about it from the production to even the lyrics is are just terrible i me. thought for not a insignificant amount of time that it was actually an elo song um <laughs> So that's and what i think the horns, I mean, just, if there's one band that there should never be horns on it's the Ramones, for God's sake. 
All right, can I be can I be brief on this? <laughs> this this album is a musical Chernobyl. Uh, if I was on the Hindenburg and they were playing this album, I would light a match. Uh, <laughs> this is so awful. Oh, the humanity. So you're a groundbreaking band. You created your own brand of music and you show up and you start singing songs about the past, about how great the, you know, the old songs were. Uh, I mean, Kurt Loder actually gave this a, a really good review in Rolling Stone at the time. And I'm, I love Kurt Loder, but Kurt, man, you're wrong on this one. Um, you know, Chinese rock, you know, that's actually a euphemism for heroin. Right. And, uh, you know, that's and Didi, a Didi knew a lot about that. Yeah. Right. If, if I had to pick a song forced to listen to, that would be it. It's, it's fine. The return of Jackie and Judy is just a musical crime. I mean, it, yes. the fact that yes. they would that they would try to take some of their past glory and shoehorn it into this horrible song uh, is just awful. Um, Baby, I love you. I don't think that's, think the, biggest Johnny... cri- that's the biggest crime on the album. They, right. they, nobody on the band even plays on it. I think. Right, Johnny. I don't think is, is on the song at all. There's violins. It's a that's a Ronettes cover, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So both Joey and Johnny both hated this album, um, and and for good reason. At the time, this is this is like the flip the flip side of where, you know, way back when they were getting bad reviews for great albums, and I think at the time <laughs> they were getting pretty good reviews for this album, and it's absolutely acrid. So, yeah, uh, this reminds yeah. me of the King Syndrome, where I think people have always overpraised uh, Arthur or the Decline and Fall of the British Empire, because all of those earlier great late '60s Kinks albums got no praise or, and no critical profile, and then people realized that they were great, so they overpraised this one, which wasn't that good. Uh, but that's, by the way, Arthur is a way better album than End of the Century. End of the Century got even Chris Gow gave it like a B which is way generous, <laughs> way over generous. This is, it's weird because the ones that come after this are, I think, really good. Um, but this is like a C minus at best. Chinese rock is good, but even then it's a pale imitation of a better cover version of it. I think, um, yeah, I'll say, you know, if there's one other one other song I like, it, it, it's uh, it Danny Says, which is about... That one's all right. I'm affected in Danny Says and Chinese Rock. Those are the beginning of the record. It's two, three, and four. Those are okay. But man, it is such a cliff dive. And, and almost inexplicable because right after this, I feel like they were just going to pick up where they left off and start putting out great music again. Uh, Scott, what do you think? Just, um, Actually, before, okay. we get, before we get to the next album, I wanted to, to, to 
highlight a little bit of band Arcania, which is actually really funny. Um, so th they've made five albums. They're not really all that famous, although they're kind of their family members think they're super famous. And so Joey's dad decided he wants a rap career. And so he decides he uh, he has Joey and his brother Mickey, who's in the in the music business. He wants to do an album called he calls himself Hot Papa. This is absolutely true. And he goes into the studio with the two boys to uh, record a song called Cold Turkey for Hot Papa. And so they go, they go to the recording studio and he tenses up and he gets really nervous and it ends up just being a disaster. But uh, I, I, when I read that, I, I actually could not believe that that actually happened. So make sure you go get a, a, a copy of Cold Turkey for Hot Papa. Well, I'll be sure not to do that. Uh, but before we move on, Scott, do you have any thoughts on End of the Century? I don't have a ton. You guys have hit most of the uh, highlights, lowlights. I think my least favorite moment on the album is actually I'm Affected. I, I, I do not like that at all, mainly, well, not mainly, but in large part because of the production, which it's supposed to sound huge and echoey and, and rock, and instead it just sounds totally muddy. And I think it's a weak, you know, I think it's a weak track overall. Danny says, I think is, is all right. I do like Chinese rock a bit better, or a bit more than, than Jeff. But, uh, I mean, heck, most aside, too, is, is um, there's not much there. There's not much there. Uh, as you said, Joey hates it, and, and Johnny hates it. There are some good stories about Phil Spector, perhaps, perhaps for, holding the band at gunpoint, making yeah, Johnny so, play so the same Marky, chord Marky for hours. So Marky denies this. Marky yeah. Ramon, who we haven't mentioned, was uh, Tommy's replacement on the drums. Uh, he wasn't actually... Uh, named Marky or Ramon. I think he was a member of, I can't remember which other, like early 70s, mid 70s, like, you know, punk era New York scene band he was a part of. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, he says that it's not true that Phil Spector, like, held the rest of the band hostage and threatened them with guns. Uh, but every other member of the band claims that this is true. So I have a feeling that Marky might not have been there for the worst of it. And of course, the thing is, is that this is. The good news is is that this is one of those albums that you might have said, oh, oh, they're on the dip, they're on the downslide, but no. And this is where I think the Ramones need to get a little more appreciation than they typically do because I think their next album, Pleasant Dreams, is the most underrated record of their entire career. Uh, this one is never really talked about. You know, it got middling to decent reviews in the day, back when it was, you know, released. But it's it's kind of been forgotten about. This is not a record where people always talk about like the classic songs. Uh, well, maybe with one exception. But I think this is as good as as any of the first four records. Uh, and I guess the, the place that I'm gonna inevitably have to start is with uh one of the funniest titles of the Ramones' entire career, which is that the KKK took my baby away. From the title on down to the music, it's just a, it's a great, goofy, early 60s pastiche. You could hear that chorus on a Shangri-La song, like the leader of the pack. And people love them, you know, in, in the 70s and the early 80s because they were such a refreshingly unapologetic antidote to, like, that smooth pop stuff that I was talking about. But then you hear this song, and you get all of that great early 60s like songcraft updated for a punk era and then the funny thing is that when you investigate it further it's really joey just writing about how pissed he is that johnny stole his girlfriend and ended up marrying her <laughs> she went away from 
Just a song that everybody should hear, and I actually don't even think it's the best song on this record. So there are actually competing uh, uh, accounts of how this song came about. You're right. Uh, Joey's living girlfriend, Linda Danielle, uh, you know, he was ready to marry her, uh, buy her a ring and all that kind of stuff. And then he finds, uh-oh, she's with Johnny now. <laughs> Just totally totally steals her out from under, out from under him. So uh, this is where the band is at each other's throats they can't stand each other which is you know it makes this album even more incredible that they're all uh at loggerheads but uh so the story behind the song uh as told by uh by joey's brother is that at some point joey actually dated uh he, he actually did okay with the women although a lot of the women uh he, he dated he brought home from the mental institution where he he stayed for a brief time Hey, listen, uh, it's a great place to pick up women, okay? I'm sorry. You know, from one who knows, that's wh- whatever you know what? works. You can score. Uh, so he, he actually ended up dating an, a woman who's African-American. And uh, her parents, who are obviously both black, uh, objected to the fact that she was dating a white guy in Joey. And so he would always joke with her. He's like, I think your your parents might actually be members of the KKK. <laughs> and uh, so they continued to object. And eventually they took her across the country. They left. Uh, and so the story from at least the the remote the from Joey's brother is that the KKK took my baby away is a direct uh, reference to that, to, uh, to to the parents taking uh, taking the daughter away from Joey. And by the way, and the, the riff from that song was taken directly from Cheap Tricks. He's a whore. That da 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 And I think- and the funny thing is, I didn't notice this until Scott pointed it out literally this morning to me. I, I was like, he, the minute he said that, I was like, holy crap! You're absolutely <laughs> right. It is a direct nick. But it is a great song, and it is a great album. Graham Goldman. Man, I was reading about this. I'm like, Graham Goldman. The guy Goldman. who wrote For Your Love. Yeah, that Graham Goldman, the 10cc Graham Goldman. Yep, that one. He produces. But man, he keeps it pretty clean. Uh, and, and it sounds good. This is, uh, I think all three of us uh, agree, a very, very good album. It's not quite on the level of those first three or four. Oh, uh, it's very close. But it's close. It's close. close. There are very few songs on here, as Jeff mentioned with the earlier albums, that you were like, you know, why Why does this exist? Why is it here? Pretty much from front to back, um, they, they pull things off very well. Um, we Want the Airwaves, that first track, 321. So we're, we're past the three-minute three, three minute mark on some of these songs. Um, it's practically prog rock at this point. Yeah, right. <laughs> but what a, it's a great riff. Man, Johnny's riff is just great on We Want the Airwaves, which again is kind of a clear little nod to get some radio play. We want the airwaves. And it should have. Yeah, talk about desperation. They're like, please play us on the radio. We're going to make our first song about being played on the radio. It's, it's kind of that like, slap back echo vocal on chorus, uh, the, the plinking piano notes throughout. It's a really strong track. I mean, that that should have been, uh, you know, uh, uh, owning the airwaves around the time. It didn't. Pleasant Dreams didn't sell. Once you could, then you will to survive. Don't you want to keep rocking? 
so much good stuff on here. Uh, it's not my place. It's, it's, it's one that you would not expect from from the band. It's almost a, like a madness style, like Calypso new wave beat, but it works. It's a Joey written song. I think one of the few he uh, he wrote on this album. And speaking um, of steals, you know, like you know, you talk about how you know you know he's a whore who was ripped off, but I mean. It's not my place, which I also think is a fantastic song, but completely—I mean, right down to the the melody line and the key—is a total rip off of the John Animal song on um, the Who's "A Quick One," mm. "Whiskey Man." You know, I don't <laughs> want to be a working stiff is my identity, which is the same thing as like, uh, or, or, or actually, you know, I'm, I'm actually mi- mixing the melodic lines. It's the don't want to be a working stiff is my identity, and then uh, that tracks exactly onto the John Entwistle line from the Who song, mm. which is life is very gloomy in this little padded cell. <laughs> it's such a good song, but it's also I'm amazing that you know I guess I guess John probably didn't care enough to like like file a lawsuit. But like you know, hey, if, if Robin Thicke can, can get owned by Marvin Gaye's estate, there's absolutely no reason why Ed Twistle couldn't take these guys down for that. Uh, it's a fantastic song, though, and I actually think that, that the drumming on that by Marky is mm-hmm. is a big part of it as well. I think it's got a really clever rhythm. Christian's going to make this point in a second, but the second half of this album is just superb. Seven uh, Eleven is this great song, retro vibe, uh, uh, self-referential dance. Uh, kids, kids are dancing to the Blitzkrieg Bop. It has a, a last. God, is is that a synth I hear in there? Is that a synthesizer? I, I, I think so. It's got a last oh, kiss really? set of vocals. Right, the the car crushed his baby. <laughs> On on Seven Eleven, man, that's just. A I mean, fun it's a total, one. it's a total fifties, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. song complete with the bop, shoe up, shoe ops. I kissed and hugged her and I said goodbye. Last thing I knew, she wouldn't make it alive. Oncoming car ran out of control. It crushed my baby and it crushed my soul. Now all I've got is sorrow and pain. Standing out here in the rain. The crash of turn bless the signs and pain is driving me insane. Oh yeah, oh we were young in love. We were young in love, and you're the only girl I've ever 
And this business is killing me is sort of a look at what uh, is actually happening. Uh, you work, you work, you work all night until the early morning light. Can't please all the people all the time, but then they don't please me. Um, it's right near the end of the album, too. That second half of Pleasant Dreams is is really excellent. This is a, um, at least for me, a surprisingly good, uh, surprisingly great. It really is. It's a great album. It's a great album. It's a great album, and I think... The- that maybe the reason that some people who are like Ramones hardcore fans don't love it as much uh, is the same reason that Johnny hated it uh, as much because it, it's really a Joey Ramone record. Absolutely. Yep. You know, it's it's it, there. There are a lot of pop melodies and funny lyrics. Dee Dee gets a lot of good lyrics on this, but it's really Joey's record, and it and it's pop and it doesn't have a lot of the punk stuff and a lot of the guitars. But then again, I say to myself, you know, if Johnny really wanted more input on this album, then maybe he shouldn't have stolen Joey's girlfriend right before <laughs> the sessions. You know, that that's gonna kind of marginalize you in the band. But 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 a song like uh, one that that hasn't been mentioned is "You Sound Like You're Sick." That a massive massive chorus and it is so very close to making my top five at the end of the show especially if i had to pick one song outside of like that classic early four album era this probably would be the one i think that's uh i guess because of the fact that it comes outside that era it's their most underrated song i don't know if this one goes on to the compilations i don't have that any of the four billion ramones compilations (laughs) that are out there i just have the records but man what an underrated tune I think the, yes. other, the, the last one I'd mention is Come On Now, which is yeah, just that's another a great, great breezy pop blast. I just want to go, yeah, 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 along with the song. You have that surf There's, styling in Johnny's guitar in the yeah. solo especially. Very nice. Yeah, he didn't he didn't like the album, but he gets his licks in on it. I think this is just... Um, this is the Ramones album, you know. That you know, outside of the the mythological early years, that uh, even casual like fans or people who just think like, "Well, I need to know this band, so I got these records." This is the one that you should check out because Pleasant Dreams lives up to the hype, and it is it is every bit as good, in my opinion, as those earlier ones. <laughs> As Scott mentioned, uh, I, I think the second half of this is great. Everything from She's a Sensation down to uh, the very last song, which is Sitting in My Room. I actually think Sitting in My Room is the best song on the album, huh. you know, notwithstanding KKK Took My Baby Away. Uh, I just think it's fantastic. It's a great, it's a great ender. 
Um, and yeah, this this I mean, this album was a real uh, a real snapback, especially from uh, from the horrors that were end of the century. <laughs> I guess that takes us to the follow-up to Pleasant Dreams, which is 1983's Subterranean Jungle. And this is one of those factoids that I only learned, even though I've been a Ramones fan of longstanding, I only learned this one from Wikipedia when we were doing research and I was you know, sort of preparing for the show, that uh, the reason that Marky, the drummer, is is in the corner of the cover. <laughs> the cover is like taken on a like a one of those early 80s New York City subways that's covered in graffiti, you know, like sort of like, you know, you know pre-Giuliani era New York where everything is like decrepit and, and gross uh, uh, you know the rest of the band is posing in an open subway door and then there's Marky in the window over there and apparently Joey came up to the photographer and told them to put Marky in the window because we're going to fire him from the band but he doesn't <laughs> know it yet which is pretty tough um, this album I don't think is fantastic I don't think it's great I think it's a, it's a dip between uh, what came before and what came afterwards but I don't think it's terrible I don't think there's anything about this that particularly um, annoys me. And I have to say that one of my favorite Ramon song titles of all time is uh, Every Time I Eat My Vegetables, It Makes Me Think of You, <laughs> which it, it definitely does not come across as a compliment <laughs> because you know, it's just like, well, you, know, that, that the, you, you remind me of that terrible thing that I, that I don't enjoy, but I have to do. Um, but People criticize the covers on this record, uh, like Little Bit of Soul and I Need Your Love. I think both of those are fine songs. I think the only thing on this that really strikes me as subpar is like, uh, what was it? Uh, the Highest Trails Above. That that seems to be on the wrong side of generic, which is very yes. rare for early Ramones. Um, but beyond that, I find it to be a cromulent, but first album of theirs, it doesn't stand out. Like End of the Century stands out for being bad. Like being like, what the hell happened here? Bad. This one doesn't stand out at all. It's not bad, but it's not mm. good, and it's probably their most easily forgettable record. Uh, what do you guys think? I would say it's essentially bad. It's not. Yeah. It's not Animal Boy bad or Halfway oh, to yeah, Sanity bad. We'll get to that. But it's bad. And uh, I, I will say, if you hire the producer who produced Joan Jett's "I Love Rock and Roll," you get what you deserve, which is a horrific drum sound throughout the yeah. entire album. Yeah, that, that's the it bad part. It is awful, all wet and electronic sounding. It kills a, a lot it of says, It says 1983 in a lot of bad ways. Oh, it's just horrible. Now, the reason why it's a little better than perhaps uh, Animal Boy and the others is there are at least two songs that stand out to me. Psychotherapy, which is one of the singles, is a, is a DD track. And you know what? Eh, it's pretty good, actually. Uh, frenetic, fast, hard, dirty, these police sirens uh, wailing. They did a video for it, actually, which uh, I assume had a little bit of MTV play. Psychotherapy, psychotherapy, psychotherapy. 
and there's a tune that I, I'm, I'm cursing Christian about because we were talking about this as I was going through the albums, and I'm, I'm like, I don't know about Subterranean Jungle. He's like, you know what? Outsider. Outsider's a great track. And I listen, I'm like, eh, whatever. And of course, it is one of the few songs that will not leave my head these past few It just few worms days. its way in that, there, doesn't it? That chorus oh, it's, it's, just it's completely gets stuck. And so, yeah, outsider, outside everything. Yeah, that is what's been going through my head the past three days. Psychotherapy and, and I guess, outsider, are, are, are stuff to, to, to track down from subterranean jungle. But otherwise, I, I think it's pretty close to a faceplant of a record coming after yeah. Pleasant Dreams. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the drum sound with Marky almost being out of the band. I think he was pretty much just an afterthought at that point. Um, so they asked Johnny about Subterranean Juggle, about how it wasn't a great album, and he said that he was, while recording it, he was distracted watching the Brewers-Cardinals World Series. <laughs> uh, so that, you know, that drove home. As a Brewers fan, I, I actually appreciated that. If, if they're going to make a terrible album, at least blame the Brewers. Um, so, yeah, th- I, I think it's, it, it's not a great album. As you mentioned, Outsider is great. Um, psychotherapy became kind of a fan favorite. They played it uh, quite a bit in the 2,200 shows that they ended up <laughs> playing throughout their career. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, there's not a not a whole lot here to uh, to commend. And I should lot. mention that I should mention that like right after this album came out, uh, Johnny got into an altercation yes. where he got his head stomped in and had to have brain surgery. So <laughs> this is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he. Uh, so w- we mentioned that he stole Linda away from uh, away from Joey, but he also had his other girlfriend, and apparently he was uh, he was roughing her up, as so the story goes, on the street. And a guy from another band walked over and just beat the crap out of him, to the point where he had to have brain surgery. And uh, according to the uh, to the Mickey Lee book, Joey found this hilarious. That <laughs> that's that's the type of relationship that they had. That he yeah. he found out. His bandmate got his head smashed in, and he was uh, he was pretty pleased about it. <laughs> yes, yes. We're, we're not exactly dealing with a, a brotherly love at this point in the Ramones' <laughs> career. But you know what? Despite the fact that there was so much bad blood between all these people, they actually managed to come out with, I think, a very good album. And I think most of us will agree – the last truly essential or you know necessary album of the Ramones career. The Ramones career would continue for several albums afterwards, but this is 1984's Too Tough to Die, and I have to say that you know, they brought Tommy back in. Tommy Ramone came back in as producer, uh, and I think it helps. I think maybe he, he was able to tell them to cut out some of the bullshit. He had the credibility to do that as a former member of the band, and a friend of theirs, guy who'd known them forever. And uh, you get an album that 
isn't just like a simple, you know, quote unquote, return to roots. If it was just that, I would find it to be insufferably boring. Uh, what you actually get is something that combines both that with some interesting uh, moves forward into as bizarre as this seems to sound when you're talking about a band like the Ramones into synth pop. There are two songs right at the center of this album that I actually think are the best songs on this album that uh, very heavily feature synthesizers, both of them from two celebrity keyboard players. Yes. One of them is uh, Jerry Harrison of Talking Heads, plays on Chasing the Night, and then uh, Ben Montench of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, the other Heartbreakers, uh, plays on Howling at the Moon. And these are both long and like very weird for the Ramones. And if you are a guy who's into the Ramones only for punk and that kind of music, then you'll probably be horrified at this. But I got to say, I love them. I love them both. I think that, you know, yeah, a four and a half minute long song should be a death sentence for the Ramones. But that simple little lick on Chasing the Night that Jerry Harrison plays works so perfectly in the chorus. And I, I think Johnny, maybe he brain damaged or not, has a great little squirky <laughs> guitar solo that surprises you um, because its simplicity really works within the context of an otherwise, I guess for the Ramones, self-indulgent piece. I think this is the last really great Ramones album. take a contrary position and say mm. I guess it's not totally contrary I do love uh, Chasing the Night the, the, the synthesizer in that is great but I think what makes this album really kind of a step forward are the Dee Dee songs where he just goes straight punk yeah. song, those are great too, yeah I agree and Warthog, look, look let's not be Dee Dee cannot sing Let's let's not get that cross but, well, but you know it's a good thing that he is the cut creator so he has other virtues <laughs> We'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> at least a nod to the type of punk that had become popular at the time. So it kind of it feels like a shot of adrenaline to uh, to an album that 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 kind of needed it. Uh, these are like aggressive screaming songs um, that I, I just really appreciate them. I think they're good songs, and uh, I'm happy to see them on here. One, two, I uh, think this is well. It's clearly a step up from Subterranean Jungle. It's it, I, I, I say it's the it's the death rattle of any sort of quality control within the band. After this, it's, it's all you know product 
essentially. Um, and so this is the last time I think there are some creative ideas that, that sort of creep their way into the music. Jeff uh, mentioned a few of those. I like uh, Chasing the Night quite a bit. Uh, and Warthog, too, you know, in both directions, the, the, the sort of synthy direction and then the sort of hardcore direction that uh, that, that Dee Dee takes them in. You know, Mama's Boy, that, that first track, uh, Joey's voice is, is almost uh, irrecognizable. Uh, you know, it's just stretched in these weird directions down toward his lower register. That's new, too, so I, I appreciate that. Uh, no Go's a, a tune later on the album that sort of has that 60s rock uh, swing feel that it's I basically like. basically an album. Uh, yeah, yeah, essentially. And, uh, yeah. and, and Daytime Dilemma, uh, Dangers of Love, uh, is a Joey track that my, I think it might be the most complete song on the album. Very big chorus, it works well, kind of poppy. Um, and, and again, this is the last album from the Ramones that really you have to care about. There are, there are moments, there are singles, there are some uh, various successes in the next what a decade or so before they call it quits with adios amigos but in terms of a, a you know like an artistic statement or an idea that, that the band is is truly involved and cares about the product the music this is just about it and from this point forward uh the the story of the band and about the band is more interesting than whatever music they're putting to vinyl one, one last thing I'd like to say about this album is that I, I think Howling at the Moon is a really great song as well. I mentioned it earlier. It, it goes, of course, hand-in-hand hand with Chasing the Night. Um, but the funny thing about it is, of course, Ben Montench of the Heartbreakers is the guest keyboardist on this one. And you think about, okay, well, what's the year? The year is 1984. What, are, what is Tom Petty doing in 1984? Oh, he's doing Southern Accents. He's doing it with... Uh, uh, Dave Stewart, Stewart from the Eurythmics. Yeah. Like, what are they doing? They're doing Don't Come Around Here No More. You know, that keyboard-driven thing. And so that's what you get on this song, you know, which it does, you know, it has like the sha-la-la-la-la-la chorus, right? But but ultimately, it has that very weird synth 80s keyboard sound that, again, by all rights, should just fail. But it doesn't. If you can just, you know, if you have a tolerance for this sort of goofiness and, and no prejudice against the Ramones trying something that's completely out of their wheelhouse out, um, I think you're going to really enjoy this one because I think it's one of those weird experiments from a band that really wasn't known for like taking big experimental chances that genuinely works.
the last time I think you're going to be able to say that about the Ramones. Because, yeah, I agree with Scott that this is the point where we, we sort of transition into um, a period of, of weird anomy. And, and unless anybody <laughs> has any thoughts, uh, I guess that's where we have to talk about the remainder of Ramones' career. And that uh, brings us to, oh, dear, that brings us to Animal Boy. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how much you guys want to spend on any of these next albums. Animal Boy, Halfway to Sanity, Brain Drain, Mondo Bizarro. I know Jeff has some thoughts on Acid Eaters. Um Boy, I mean, Animal Boy is is just sounds terrible. I mean, there's, there's synths all over the place. There's gimmick lyrics. Uh, one of the big tracks, I guess one of the singles they worked was a Richie song. Somebody put something in my drink. And again, those Joey vocals are way down in his lower register. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a pop metal sort of sound. It's more of a like a kiss sound than anything the Ramones had done in the past. And that's where... That's where they stay musically for a couple of albums here. And there's some success with the theme from the Stephen King film Pet Cemetery. Uh, the Merry Christmas song that uh, I Don't Want to Fight that Jeff mentioned earlier is on Brain Drain. I, I really don't have much to say about any of this group of albums, uh, at least leading up to, to Acid Eaters, which I know Jeff wants to discuss. I mean, Christian, is there is there any redeeming features of Halfway to Sanity? What, what can you tell us? No, I'd say I'd say just skip it. Um, and you you ran across a couple of the songs; they pop up every now now and then uh, as as you know songs that uh, either did videos for or got a little bit of airplay. But and uh, uh, I believe it was 1995 they actually did. Um, there was a there was a compilation album where artists did songs from Saturday morning cartoons. And they did a version of the Spider-Man theme song, which I think is really good. So maybe go and check that out. But otherwise, I just say I just say skip the rest of the stuff. And at least uh, on Adios Amigos, which was well clearly their last album, I, I, I think of all this group that might be my uh, favorite. That's not not really much to say because most of them are are pretty terrible. Adios Amigos is not bad. It's really not bad. Um, I Don't Want to Grow Up is, is is a song that got some radio play. It may have been one of the most successful singles of their career. The irony, a, of course, it, it, you know, a band with so many classic songs right, in and their early career finally breaking through on their last album. With, with, with a Tom Waits song, uh, not even right. one that they, they wrote themselves. Not even one of their own, right. Uh, but I know Acid Eaters is this cover album that I know Jeff wanted to talk about a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think this is actually the best late period Ramones album. And the funny thing about it, of course, is it's entirely composed of covers, 60s covers. And uh, they go back to their early style, you know, for a lot of these songs. And they, But what are they doing? They're just covering songs that they liked that influenced them when they were younger, when they were kids, when they were just starting out and forming as a band. And uh, they do a fantastic job of some of these things. So, so there's a, you know, I, I if you guys listen to our Who episode where I talked about how much I just adore "Substitute" by the Who, uh, I think it's one of the greatest non-album singles ever released. This side at "Hey Jude" by the Beatles, um, the Ramones do a really credible cover version of it. So credible, in fact, that they got Pete Townsend to come in and sing backing vocals on it, and it it, it, it really bangs. It, it's a really good version of a song that was basically done definitively in its original version, and I, and I like that, and I actually like the fact that they're able to make me appreciate songs from the 60s that I had never much cared for, so I've never liked uh, Journey to the Center of Your Mind 
by the Amboy Dukes, Ted Nugent and the Amboy Dukes. Uh, but I really like their version of it. I think that they actually do a really spiffy version of Have You Ever Seen the Rain by Creed's <laughs> Clearwater Revival. They just zoom through. The song is already short. The original Creed's version is like two minutes and 30 seconds long. And, and they somehow managed to make it even quicker than that. And it works well. Yesterday and days before, cold and rain is hard. I, they, they, they do a lot of really fun, loving covers of great 60s songs. And to me, it, it is, in my own personal you know, like head canon of the Ramones, their last true hurrah and their farewell. Um, I, I do think it's an album that if you like the early records and you liked you know, the classic Ramones sound, that you owe it to yourself to go pick up Acid Eaters because I think that that, that does harken back to that early sound and it does a fantastic job of it. Well, at some point they become uh, almost a you know an oldies band. I mean, they're competing with their younger selves, and they they just can't keep up. Uh, and you know the whole uh, black leather jacket thing. Everybody's kind of copied it, and everybody's kind of done it. Um, and what what I think is interesting about kind of their later years is their live shows. They actually start speeding up. They get you know sh- shows that used to last forty five minutes. They're now doing in like thirty eight, <laughs> where they just keep getting faster and faster and faster. There's a 1991 live album called Loco Live. Yeah, if you go listen to that, it's it's almost it's almost unintelligible, like how fast they are. Um, I don't know if they just they, they they got the exactly the Husker Du speed core thing is basically what's happening to them. Yeah, exactly. They're just trying to show off how fast th- that they can actually play. Um, but I don't I don't know when you want to start talking about the late eighties. Um, well this is this is where the drama, this is where the story of the band sort of takes over the music of the band in a much more interesting way. And I know Christian, you you, you <laughs> said that this this is this is actually something that's far more rewarding to talk about. So why don't you hit it? Well, so yeah, in the late eighties, uh Dee Dee finally decides he wants to leave the band. Um, but not for a solo rock career. He wants to be a rapper. And he calls himself. Well, wait, wait. Let's establish. Why did he? Why did he get into rap? He went into rehab, right? Yeah. And yeah. while he was in rehab in like 1986 or something like that, like he was finally exposed to rap music by like some <laughs> of the other people he was staying with, you know, at at the uh, asylum that he was in. And then he he just decides like I'm going to quit the band and I'm going to become a rapper. And he renames himself. He's not Didi Ramon. He's now Didi King. He's Didi King, and he is uh, evidently evidently Johnny uh, would not allow him to use the name Ramon for his rap career. He's like, it's <laughs> this is our this is our thing. You, you have nothing to do with the Ramones anymore. You cannot be a Ramon anymore. So he picked out Didi King, but he still feels the need to tell you about himself. I played a bass <laughs> in a punk rock band. I've been all over the world, even even to Japan. Nothing can surprise me, man, because I've seen it all and had a ball. Someone should make a Didi doll. Uh, that is from the classic song "Funky Man." Yes, it's one of the, great, I, I it's one of the greatest, weirdest, unintentional, self-parodic songs ever. In it. Oh God, we have to put it in here. 
I was going to try to deadpan this, but uh, it is so bad. I mean, heroin needs a co-writing credit on this on this album <laughs> song, um, and it's on YouTube. You can go look up D.D. King "Funky Man" on YouTube. Uh, it, it has like a, a worse production than like a TikTok, um, and it is. It, it, you just you just have to see it to believe it. It's just one of those things. I'll let you I'll let you enjoy it yourself. There's like so many classic lines on it. I'm the one that sings Warthog. He actually singles out like the song that he sang on uh, <laughs> on uh, Pleasant Dreams. And then, and then the, yeah, you were saying it, it basically it basically presages Kid Rock's whole career. I think actually. <laughs> but remember, he offers he offers, he offers valuable valuable advice to the kids he says like here's some advice for everyone you try to make the most out of every day and remember drugs don't pay but but beyond that uh, and there's there's just a, a a line that will never ever ever uh, be uh be topped from this album uh from the dd king album where he talks about how he is the cut creator the master of rap <laughs> And when he strolls down the street, the other homeboys have to tip their cap. That is <laughs> that is legend, legend, yes. legend from Didi Ramon. Poor Didi. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's such an interesting character because he, you know, he had the toughest upbringing. He he was part of a military family that lived in Germany, and as a kid, he used to go like dig through these bombed out buildings and find Nazi memorabilia and sell it to people so he could go buy drugs. Uh, and then through his entire life, he he struggled with with drugs and alcohol. I mean, he he did everything under the sun, and yet he still was able to write these sweet songs, these great catchy songs. I mean, like half the you know half the Ramones catalog is probably Dee Dee either written or mm-hmm. co-written. Um, when he left the band, Marky Ramone said it, it's like Paul McCartney leaving the Beatles. <laughs> um, so that's the effect that he had on the band. And he's just, you know, he used to start start songs and lose track in the middle. And Johnny would start yelling at him and he'd have this like puppy dog expression on his face. So he's he's just such an incredible talent that, uh, you know, left us too soon because of just the demons that he had. But I, I, I do want to say that, like, yeah, you got to go hear Funky King, which was his non-album single from 1987. Yeah. But then he did that rap album, Standing in the Spotlight. And that's that's where the, the, the line that I just quoted is from. It's from I Want What I Want When I Want It. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, God. You won't make it to the Hall of Fame if those lyrics you write are considered late. The cut creator, the master of rap. When I strut down the street, homeboys tip the hat. They stand there amazed. They say there he is. The number one rapper in all the showbiz. The funky man is here to stay. He blows those other rappers away. There's he he raps like somebody who really is just like I don't know. He's on. <laughs> He's on something. I don't know what it is. It, it, maybe it, maybe it's not heroin. What's that drug that they give people to withdraw from heroin? I can't remember the name of it. Uh, he, he's he's definitely he's definitely narcoleptic 
in some form or another. Uh, or something, or like, uh, no, yeah. I can't. I can't even remember. But oh my god, yeah. When 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 Dee talks about being the cut creator, it's just one of those things where you just you just have to sit there. And, you know what? I tip my cap back to the man because <laughs> to have the balls to put that out. <laughs> Yeah, um, as I said, I don't think he was uh, quite quite in his right mind at the time. Yeah. And then I get you know, after Adios Amigos, their final studio album, they did a, f- a couple of shows, did Lollapalooza, <laughs> and um, and then, but that was it. Uh, no reunions, uh, nothing along those lines. They didn't really like each other. I'm sure that didn't you know didn't hurt the fact or it didn't help any sort of reunion talk. And I guess we have to sort of end on this down note, which is, of course, they're they're all dead. I mean, all the four, the four, the four core, in 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 pretty quick succession. Um, Joey was about forty nine, I think, when he passed away. Yep. Uh, Johnny had cancer a few years later and, and, and died. Dee Dee heroin overdose just after about a month after the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, and then Tommy, I think, was uh, maybe eight nine years after that. But those core four, those those four original Ramones, are have all passed away, and, and it's just another sort of little quirk in this really unique biography of Ramones, from from how they started uh, to how they were perceived to the way they they you know at least through the '80s sort of ran the band, which is no one talked to each other. Johnny and Joey uh, rarely, if ever, talked uh, during that time period. To the very clean breakup, um, to the to their deaths, and you know, Christian had talked about uh, Johnny just being a bad bad guy, and uh, there's a Rolling Stone piece from a few years ago, and uh, talked about you know when when Joey was very close to uh, to death, someone had reached out to Johnny and said, you know, you, you should get out there and, and and see him, and Johnny said, nope, he's not my friend, I don't care, <laughs> and, oh, and that was it, and and Johnny did not attend uh, Joey's funeral. He's like, again, I, he's not my friend. I wouldn't expect him to attend mine, and I'm not going to his. Uh, Johnny died and had this uh, incredible, uh, incredible in a weird, like hard to believe way. Nicholas Cage talked at his memorial, <laughs> and these very, you know, uh, odd, different people talked at his memorial. They did a tribute show for him just a, a day or two before he passed away. You know, everything about the Ramones, a- at least, is interesting. There is no uh, shortage of intrigue uh, from the music to the behind the scenes activities of, of Ramones. Let me talk about Johnny just a little bit more because, uh, you know, the fact was he he was he was a terrible human being. Um, you know, had trouble with uh, keeping his hands off women. Um, you know, he'd be canceled right off the bat. Marky says he had some unfortunate uh, racial uh, ideas. Um, but, you know, he's a delinquent growing up. There's a story that uh, he actually went to Shea Stadium to go see the Beatles and he brought a pocket full of like baseball sized rocks because he wanted to throw the rocks at the Beatles. And uh, someone in his band at the time, the Tangerine Puppets, said he actually did throw throw the rocks, even though uh, even though uh, Johnny said he didn't. But yeah, so I mean, the interesting thing to me as I kind of got a political identity was that, you know, he's a hardcore Republican. I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. We finally have like a Republican band, (laughs) Uh, but not not the type that you want. Um, And I think it's, you know, he was rebelling against hippies and kind of all that stuff, all the excesses that you see a lot today. I mean, to me, conservatism is almost kind of like 
you know, is the counterculture these days. And so there, there's got to be another band that kind of comes in and shakes everything up. But uh, it's, it's just unfortunate that, the, you know, one of the one of the Republicans that uh, that we can count on, you know, he famously at their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony right. went up to the microphone and said, uh, God bless President Bush. And this is 2002, like right after 9-11 happened. And, uh, you know, so that turned into a big thing. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to mention is that makes this all even sadder is in the late 80s and the early 90s, obviously, you have the big grunge movement coming through and you have all these bands. You have Nirvana, you have Green Day, you have you have Soundgarden and all these bands that are paying tribute to the Ramones. They're like, oh, my God, the Ramones are the greatest band ever. So so it's almost like the carrot, you know, saying the band thinking like here's our big chance all these all these bands love us and so now it's going to it's going to uh propel us to where we need to be uh but it never did they they blitzkrieg bop actually got used in a uh, i think like a bud light commercial yeah and they got $100,000 for that but even that caused discord because <laughs> Joey Ramone's brother had sung backup vocals on Blitzkrieg Bop 15 years earlier. And so he wanted a cut of it. And so that things kind of devolved over that. Um, Joey actually hated Nirvana. He thought, uh, he thought they essentially were stealing their whole, their whole bit. Um, and Which so, they kind of were, to be fair. <laughs> so, well, yeah. they were actually—it's funny because because what's the other other artist that you were on our show for? It was Pixies. Nirvana yeah. stole equally from Pixies and Ramones. I mean, what what band from the late '80s, you know, '90s can you not trace back to the Ramones? I mean, uh, just so like you know, Green Day and Op Ivy and pretty much every you know every punk band. Uh, like just a couple of years after the the first couple albums, you go listen to the Buzzcocks. Um, and by the way, if you haven't listened to Singles Go Steady, stop this podcast right now and go listen to the Buzzcocks Singles Go Steady immediately. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, the band thought that this is our big chance. We're going to we're going to glom onto these, uh, you know, Pearl Jam and all these other bands. And it just it just never happened for them. People just saw them kind of as a, uh, you know, kind of an oldies band and nostalgia act. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's really sad. And so they get into the they get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in two thousand and two, a year after Joey dies. And uh evidently in his later years, Joey had become some kind of uh investing <laughs> wizard. <laughs> like he made millions of dollars in the <laughs> stock market. You know what, you like, know what you can laugh at that, but remember how Jeff Skunk Baxter after leaving right. Steely Dan <laughs> became like a defense contractor. <laughs> so like these yeah. things sometimes happen. But he watched tons of CNBC, which is why he ended up writing a solo album about Maria Bartiromo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, yeah, funny thing is, it's, it's, it's actually a fairly decent solo album. Yeah, yeah, go listen to it. Um, but he died a year before they get into the, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, you know, so, uh, Dee Dee famously at, at the Hall of Fame ceremony thanks himself. <laughs> because he he made it all happen, and then Green Day plays three songs, and and Johnny says it's total crap because he didn't play the guitar right, he didn't do his downstroke thing, uh, in typical Johnny fashion. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, there was a there was a time where they really had a chance there in, in the late eighties, early nineties, and it went away, and now they're only uh, you know they're getting the due that they that they deserve, especially from the Political Beats podcast, but. Uh, it's all too late. I think the thing that, that is important to remember here and, and is the way that I always look at music is to treat the music as its own thing. 
set aside some of the personal bitterness in these stories. I mean, geez, we could talk about, you know, we have in fact talked about the way like Creedence Clearwater revival fell apart and John and Tom Fogarty never spoke to each other. You know, John died and they didn't reconcile on his death. But think about the bitterness of the band. The Black Crows up until, I guess, recently when they decided <laughs> the money was too good, whatever. Yeah. There's all sorts of bitter breakdowns in groups. Uh, what you're left with is the music. And the thing about the music for the Ramones is that this is a group that sort of created its own world. And, you know, eventually, first of all, at a, and initially only like maybe hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people got it. But eventually millions have gotten it. And, and have been welcomed into that world. And the music stands on its own. And the music says something a lot more interesting, a lot more welcoming and wonderful than you know the, the bitter personal relationships between the members of the band. The music is its own monument, and it will stand forever. This is a band that anybody, as I've said, for several other groups on the show that we have covered several other artists if you care anything about rock music you you need to get your doctorate in the ramones because not only are they one of the most important groups of of the the rock and roll era they're one of the most rewarding ones and and you know hey if you get into them then then gabba gabba hey you're one of us (laughs) you're one of us we accept you there's nothing like three chords in the truth and uh Please have your children listen to this uh, somewhere in your household. If you have children, there's another Johnny Ramone, hopefully musically, not uh, personally. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the music industry needs an influx of new blood uh, to revolt against uh, against what the Ramones saw. It's coming back. So uh, make sure you do that. And uh, all the hope rests with you. Play this for your children. <laughs> Enjoy it. That's all I got. <laughs> Let me... All right, but here we'll we go. see. <clears throat> that is the Political Beats look at the Ramones. Thanks to Christian Schneider, our guest, reporter for the College Fix. Find him on Twitter at Schneider underscore CM. We come to the part of the program in which uh, all three of us give you the two albums you should own from our band and the five songs you just need to hear. We always begin by opening the floor to our guest, Christian, your two albums and your five songs. Well, you obviously can't go wrong with the uh, the first and the third, the Ramones and uh, Rocket to Russia, uh, widely regarded as the greatest albums of all time among them. Um, and for songs, let me go. I'll start with Sheena's a punk rocker. Uh, Judy is a punk. There's a theme here. Uh, Pinhead, which was where you get uh, Gabba Gabba Hay from. Uh, teenage Teenage Lobotomy and Gimme Gimme Shock Treatment. Those are those are my five. Uh, my two albums, Ramones, Rocket to Russia, I find it exceedingly difficult to tell you one is absolutely better than the other. Uh, we've, we've praised them both. They are both uh, equally uh, of merit to fit in those two albums. Uh, the five songs, again, where do you go wrong on virtually any of these albums? But uh, Judy is a Punk from the first Ramones album. Uh, Here Today, Gone Tomorrow. What a beautiful song. Uh, Teenage Lobotomy has to be on the list. It might be the best thing they ever did. Swallow My Pride. Love that song. And, man, it's hard to pick uh, fifth and narrow this down. Uh, But, uh, you know, title of Johnny's biography, autobiography. So I I will go Commando at number five. Those are the five songs 
on my list. Jeff, over to you. Okay, you know, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn, and instead of recommending, uh, we all agree that Ramones and Rocket to the Russia are, are the two great studio albums from their early career. But instead of recommending those, I'm going to say go get It's Alive, which gets all of the best songs from those records as well as Leave Home and puts it together in just a sick live package that is just, you will spin your head around. Uh, when it's done, you'll be wearing your clothes inside out. You You will not be bored for one second of its running time get it's alive one of the fantastic punk live documents in the history of the genre and then the other one is uh from later in their career i think pleasant dreams because pleasant dreams is just so wildly underrated i think people sort of maybe said after end of the century which is such a disappointment that like well the ramones they had their time and they're just not going to be as good again as they were pleasant dreams i think ranks up there with the rest of their early stuff uh my five songs uh this is just so impossible we all agree i guess the ones i would go with are blitzkrieg bop you know hey ho let's go gotta start with that uh and then i'll say california sun which is uh had to include at least one cover from the ramones and i think this is my favorite cover of theirs it's either that or uh or uh you know uh <laughs> surfing bird uh i'd say we're a happy family Cretan hop and then finally, I want to be sedated. But then again, I could have just as picked, just as easily picked a bunch of other ones. And if I, you know, I was allowed to pick a sixth one, I'd say, you know, you sound like you're sick from Pleasant Dreams. It's just as good as the rest of those songs. Uh, this is a band that just has wonderful riches to find within their discography, uh, especially because, like, all these songs are so compact, so smart, so well thought out. Uh, if for some reason you're listening to this podcast and you are not already a fan of the ramones i just hope to god that we can make you one after we're done <laughs> that is the political beats look at the music of ramones our thanks to christian schneider reporter for the college fix contributor to the dispatch the bulwark usa today sometimes national review as well and his book 1916 the blog but i'm on twitter at schneider underscore cm christian thanks for coming back a second time to join us here on the show Oh, thank you very much. It was a, a great honor. One of the highlights of my musical career. Christian, you are now officially one of us. Gabba, <laughs> <laughs> gabba, hey. And uh, Jeff Blair. Jeff, um, I think we've got a big one coming up next. It's going to be a, a big lunker of an episode. You know, so much for the whole, like, only summer spectaculars get the two-parters. Let's put it that way. Uh, find Jeff on Twitter as well, at EsotericCD. And you can find me on Twitter, at Scott Bertram. Subscribe to our feed, new episodes, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, tune in, go to nationalreview.com. Listen, enjoy, share them, and leave reviews. Find us on Facebook, also on Twitter, at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.